Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 421. Darren Miller, the disc golf guy, not quite alongside Johnny V. It's been so long, again, Terry. Virtual. Terry, it's been so long. You've You've I know, and I'm good with it. I'm good with it. <laughs> Sweden and bend, and now bend again, and I don't know. Yeah, the World Championships, I think, were in there. Uh, like yeah, that. there's been uh, quite a bit of travel going on, and in about a week, I should be back to my uh, home state and to the city of Milwaukee area. So, uh, here we are. It is post Green Mountain Championships weekend, and real quick, quickly, I want to throw out there, I reached out to Ricky Wysocki. He said that he was going to be going to the Red Sox game tonight, and that he should be able to join us, and so as soon as he's back, I, I'm assuming there's going to be traffic, there's going to be other things. I haven't even looked at the score myself, so I'm not even sure if the game's over just yet, but uh, as soon as he gets in position, hopefully he'll be able to join us, and uh, we'll talk to him, but... but He's only got two world championship titles until he gets here. And even once he arrives, we've got none other than three-time world champ, Nate Doss. <laughs> hey, buddy. What's up, T-Dog? Long time no see. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now that I'm officially squatting at your house. Yeah, you're officially great. my roommate. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there, Doss. Uh, no. Doss, I've been there. It ain't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I've Johnny, you've been there much, many more times than I have. And, uh, you know, he's got the apnea machine now, so it's a little quieter. I yeah, think. it certainly is. In fact, I think while I've been gone, quick major uh, tangent here. Uh, Respironics, who makes the sleep apnea machine, is one of the more popular ones. There was some major recall on them. This was a, a, a 
a countrywide problem or a worldwide problem. I just received a notification that I think a new machine has showed up at my house since Ooh. I've been gone. There was a major recall. Oh, wow. And this was going on all of last year. There was something about some of the product inside there, some silicone or something causing cancer. I, I don't know. But, Let's uh, hope it's not that. Yeah. So uh, I, I believe there's going to be a new one uh, sitting at my house ready for By me the to way, put on. By the way, the Red Sox game is in the ninth inning at the ah. moment, and, uh, and Sox are up 5-1. So... Yeah, I already saw a picture from Ricky at the game. So he's five two now. Yeah, by we've the been way. five two. Uh oh, uh oh. Let's Nelly. let's hope there's not a tie. Let's just hope this thing ends in the top of the ninth, so to speak, so that uh, Ricky and Ari and and the Economos and everyone else that they're with uh, can get back to the house safely. And then once he's all settled in, hopefully he can still join us for a little while tonight. But. Yes, here we are. So for those who are a little confused about what's going on, <laughs> Nate and I are still in Bend. We're here in the Disc Golf Pro Tour studio, a.k.a. Nate and Val's house. And Johnny is in Milwaukee, and hopefully Ricky will be able to join us from uh, out there just outside of Boston. So, Johnny, big weekend, GMC. Yeah, we are switching first... the show on the MPO side. That's my gig well, now. Ian I just Lunger. I just do right? MPO. We're switching the show on the FPO. Ian was doing yeah. FPO, yeah. Um, at one point, I saw a a uh, just a little tiny dip of a camera, and somebody on, on the internet was uh, screaming, "Way to go, Johnny!" I'm like, "This time it wasn't his fault." Well, and it's kind you of funny even, I, you weren't even pressing those buttons. Yeah, for FPO, I'm not. But it's we kind of have three. I mean, I'm the primary director, but we kind of have three directors in that. I I do all the live stuff. If it's live, it's on me. But Mo and Gary are both running replay and switching cameras as well. So when like when we go to a chase card, it's rarely live. Sometimes, but rarely. And so they switch cameras. And every once in a while, if they're not paying attention, they either pick the wrong camera because maybe the camera's shuffled. Or maybe at times the catch camera didn't get a chance to get in the proper position before the first throw, depending, depending on how the previous hole went. So Gary will switch to a camera and the camera's still walking to where they're going. So I am just going to say that every time you see a camera dip, it's not my fault. I, mm. No, just no. That's the blanket statement. I'm going to blame every, you anyway. Like purely, purely every not time. His fault. <laughs> every time, it's impossible. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll say too on on the Sunday round. I mean, with that weather, it was Johnny. How was how rough. tough is it for like the cameramen to 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 like be at their best? I don't know. It's tough. It's I mean, ultimately, it's very difficult for a number of reasons because. You would think in the rain that the rounds would go so much slower. Everybody's got to wipe off a disc and get under umbrella. And sometimes that's true. But as we saw for the first two to three holes, a player will sit there, wait, 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 get ready until it's their turn. And then just up and throw. They get up and throw. And it almost gives our cameras very little time um, to do that. On top of add that on to Isaac Robinson, who is fast as it is. I think this actually slowed him down. And <laughs> but other players just got up and through. So those first four holes were kind of a nightmare. It, it cleared up a little bit after that. But those first four four holes were tough because you've got cameras trying to rush into position and make sure that all their gear that's getting covered isn't blocking their camera. And you've got players that are just up and throwing and not I mean, not that they need to or should ever, quote unquote, give our guys a chance to get into position. But 
it was a it was a free for all for those first couple holes. It slowed down after that. It got a little chaotic at the very end with some spectators and some camera stuff going on. But it it is it's a difficult uh, it's definitely difficult for the cameras on site. I did not uh, envy them at all. Yeah, in just one very specific note, you look at Waisaki, who I didn't even realize it in real time because I'm doing a million things here in the booth as well. But in real time, Ricky Waisaki grabbed his disc on the tee of one and almost ran up to the tee, mm-hmm. barely even hesitated, and then just got up and launched his initial tee shot, which I totally support and understand and everything else with regard to... In fact, to it's how you play. Quick. <laughs> yeah, it's how I play. But And Ricky's typically relatively fast, but just the fact, if you really go back and watch it, he grabs his disc, walks up to the tee, and throws barely like he even hesitates for a moment. And so that's where it can be really tough because, like you're saying, Johnny, just finding how much the the players are either going to hold back or they're going to speed up. And sometimes they just might seek a moment, kind of like when it's windy out, where it's like, oh, wait, I'm just going to get up and throw real quick. So it can be a little bit uh, tough to follow along with all of that. So Well, and I, I also find it difficult as commentators because, I mean, we're we're so used to – the routine yeah the routine of the player and kind of the pacing and of course we're a second and a half behind or whatever it is so it's like oh we're getting in you're getting a little statement in, and then all of a sudden they go and you're mm-hmm. talking right over there putting or something it, it you know overall it was not an easy day i think for everybody involved but uh, boy i mean did we it, did we see it coming i i remember I, at one point sexton goes Man, I think everybody probably turned it off after hole thirteen or whatever. And several people at Bevel were telling me that, like, we left, we went out and played golf, and then we rushed home and watched <laughs> the last few holes. I don't think anybody saw it turning around like that at all. No, and that kind of comes into, you know, the first. We'll say, you know, we'll talk about the controversy first, which is the, um, you know, the umbrella that was on six inches inside the OB and the 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 big what to do about it and whose it was. And, you know, the, I'll say the umbrella and the tall boy. Speaking of drinks, <laughs> I'll take a cheers to that. I figured you guys cheers, were drinking. So Johnny I would. B. Cheers, um, Johnny. I can't wait to see you in person. Once I know, again, I know I need, Johnny we need B. to, need to get, get that going. But so now we've got this big discussion about where, where spectators should be. Whose umbrella was that? Was it the spotters? Was it the fan that was standing there taking the camera shot? who ended up moving it, I, I don't know. No one has come forward and claimed it, as I don't think you know they, they are willing to do. That umbrella is probably still sitting there, as nobody wants to go near it to, <laughs> to claim that it's theirs. But yeah, it, so you're not, now you're seeing a big discussion online and everywhere about how far should spectators be from the OB line? Should there be a buffer? Should it matter? Should it? Does it depend on the hole? Does it depend on... You know, the optimal flight of the disc on a specific hole. You know, on, on that particular hole, all the players throw wide over the OB, skip in. How far do spectators need to be off of that line? Is it five feet? Is it 30 feet? Because we every disc comes in at a different angle, and depending on the weather, it's going to skip a different amount. You have, a play, you have spectators five feet off that line. That's not nearly enough for a disc to skip in. I mean, you'd have to be coming in at a sharp angle to get between a five-foot gap, so ultimately, the safest, I would say, is 30 feet. But is that a realistic number for our spectators? 30 feet from an OB line? I don't think it is. And me personally, and I know this is probably maybe on the, I don't say hot take side of it, but 
I think spectators should be right up on the line. I kind of don't mind. I think once a player, and I know players throw over the OB a lot, but I kind of feel like spectators need to have their head on a swivel. They need to try to avoid the, the disc if it's coming at them. But players also have to understand that if you go outside of the designated fairway, so, so to speak, it's kind of a it's kind of fair game at that point. Not that people should be swatting at it <laughs> like a baseball or anything like that out of midair. But I just think that, you know, we can't rely on spectators to be that far away from things that are going to be interfering. Nothing should ever be inbounds. I want to make that clear. That, that umbrella, that tall boy, that was uncalled for. But mm, we see cameramen get hit. And they're inbounds. So, yeah, so what I- Doss, you have a lot of experience on tour. Terry, you need to unmute if you're going to talk. But, um, uh, oh yeah. So what? I, what? I, see, this is why I shouldn't have a mute button. No, you don't. <laughs> well, I don't give him a mute button. Every- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm trying to save everybody uh, uh, from the the <laughs> coughing. That's yeah. yeah. So what I was just going to say quickly though about this, and I know every everybody's going to have an opinion on this. Um, and there's there's just flat out no perfect answer because there's going to be subjectivity no matter what. What I will say, though, is if we magically create and enforce a five-foot line and something happens, the next thing is going to be, well, it should be a 10-foot line. And once we have a 10-foot line and someone gets hit, then it should be a 20-foot line. Like, mm-hmm. no matter what the distance is or isn't, there's always going to be room to say, well, it should have been more or it should have been less or whatever the case might be. I, until you're 50 feet away on every single fairway, which is just legitimately not practical if we're going to have spectators, anything short of 30 or 40 or 50 feet is going to be, uh, could always be scrutinized. So whether that's two meters or, or four meters or nine meters, whatever the case is, that that's my one problem when you're talking about exact numbers. Do, you, do I like the idea of being back? <clears throat> I, I like 10 feet. I'll, I'll just pull a number out of a hat and say 10 feet. Yeah, I do. Um, but I think th- this all gets avoided if you just always have spectators with their head on a swivel. And that's a big ask because mm-hmm. inevitably that's not going to happen. You see that in a lot of sports. There's there's Base, spectators baseball, that just golf. aren't paying attention or yeah. lose focus. And it's like 300 other people can move, and then it still hits that one person that didn't move that should have moved. And they never thought a disc could get to them. It's it's really tough. What, what's I mean, you watch a lot of golf. I know you pull from that, and you probably want everybody four hundred feet away. But what what do you what do you what do you want to happen? I, no, I I I think everything is up to subjectivity. I mean, if if you're just saying, well, spectators on the line, well, that's okay in areas, definitely where it's. Say it's say it's a hundred foot. I'll even go smaller. Say it's a fifty foot wide fairway, but it's wide open. Heiser bomb on the right. Well, you can have spectators along that left hand line all day you want. No players ever really going over there. And if they are, they're skipping towards those fans instead of coming in over their head. And it's going right? to hit them and stay in bounds as opposed to go out of bounds. Or we just well, say, for, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris Clemens, you don't get to throw on the left hand side. <laughs> I'm just saying it's the the. I think, and and so this is where we get into the point where it can't just be one for all or, mm-hmm. you know, one rule for everything. I think everything is a little subjective because yeah. obviously, you know, you look at like hole 17 at the USDGC. You can't have fans on the hay bales. 
No. That's just no. not how I, it goes. You're right. I think there needs to be and, a TD discretion of like, okay, guess what? This hole, we do need spectator ropes. You know, you're right. You couldn't have people standing in the middle because it's quote unquote OB. You need to have yeah, them off to yeah. the side or something like off that. Off to the side. And in mm-hmm. this case, it, it it's just so unfortunate because it wasn't a person. And it it was it was not it was, directly. It was it, it, it was because they somebody said it there, mm-hmm. but it was an umbrella, and it's it just it was weird. It was just weird the way it went down. Ultimately, the hole ended up being super weird, and uh, I yeah, don't, I don't know if that was just like yeah. divine intervention or something. I don't that, know. I mean, it was Nate Sexton. He called for it, right? He called for the curse. <laughs> yeah, and I I saw a number of people, you know, before the day was even done. You know, almost coming at Nate, like, well, Nate called that. Nate said that was going to happen, or Nate called for it to happen. Put it into the know, that, put it into the know, atmosphere, ether. Yeah, exactly. That you know that there should be some kind of uh, you know uh, karma that goes now in Chris's favor. I mean, you, you could you know woulda coulda shoulda all day, especially with mm-hmm. that. Because let's let's be very clear. We all, all three of us, could very much agree or disagree whether or not that was going to stay in bounds or not. Oh, there's and no way to say it. it's a fifty-fifty. After like at that exactly. point, fifty-fifty. That, that's my point. But there's some people that are passionate, saying no, no, no. That had a ninety-nine percent <laughs> chance of no, staying in bounds. And there's plenty of people that are like, no, 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 no. That had ninety-nine percent chance of going out of bounds. We'll, we'll never know for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the crazy bounce and skips and other things that can happen out there. Uh, anyway, I yeah. mean, Ricky throws that same putt. How many? You know, when he's putting for his three. How many times does that splash and then get up and roll on him? Well, well, we actually said that it had it went out of bounds and Ricky marks that putt, he probably smashes in the three because that's what he had been doing all round long. I mean, think about it. He had gone out of bounds how many times it's, and made every putt or or gotten mm-hmm. up and down. So, yeah, yeah. I it's don't a know. I I'm sure it's a bigger... different focus putting for circle three versus putting for a birdie. Like, exactly. It, it's it's a exactly. different mentality. It's a different thought process. Uh I mean, yes, it, it it's whatever it is. Um, I think just to wrap up the whole spectator issue, I, yep. again, my vote, I don't mind if we put people 10 feet off the fairway, that's fine, or 10 feet off the OB line, that's fine. I think it is also up to the players to say and, and point to whether it's direct the crowd or tell, we'll just say like a Jeff Spring or a crowd control person, hey, I'm going over there. That's where I'm going yeah, because... I keep thinking of the, the 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 really long hole at the country club, the one that Eagle eagled a couple of years ago. Fourteen, Watch, yep. yeah. Watching them throw rollers that can go way off to the left and still come back in bounds. That's all fair game at that point. Like you just need to kind of be. You, I, I think just as a player, this needs to be part of your. I don't say routine, but thought process to say, hey, guess what. My, we are all going to probably take the big Heiser route, but can we make sure that the players, that the spectators are aware that we're going to do that? Let call the dude that's up there and just let him know to notify the spectators before we throw, so that everyone can be yeah. aware of it. And and errant throws are going to errant. That's just the way it works, man. And I like I like that that concept is great, and I'm good with that. However, never in a million years would you put any single person, uh, uh, especially in our F- MPO field. On that tee of 14, in this case, mm-hmm. on that tee, 
and are any of them going to be like, hey, can you make sure everything's clear just slightly deep of the basket oh, to the spot not. I really don't want to be in? Like, I sorry, I agree with what you're yeah. saying, yeah. but in some crazy scenarios, think, I mean, let's face it, that wasn't that good of a tee shot, no matter no. whether it was inbounds or out. No, it wasn't are happen. Ricky's best tee shot in the first place. We so can't it's, account it's for not everything. a spot you could have ever, you know, kind of uh, accounted yeah. for. Yeah, you can't account for everything. You just have to take your, your, your best chances because even if i mean and i go back way back to the memorial when, when james conrad hit the 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 water bottle that was sitting out mm-hmm. that was 10 feet off the fairway he was going wide skip heiser that was over the i think maybe it was on the sidewalk uh, or just it over was it? on the sidewalk it was on the sidewalk I which mean, is out of bounds yeah which is out of bounds so that's just you know we we'll, we're gonna see more of it you're gonna see cameramen get hit you're gonna see spectators get hit you're gonna see um, objects that aren't that shouldn't be there get hit. Uh, we can do our best, and ultimately, it, it's it'll get better. But I don't think it's ever going away. Well, I also look at, and uh, this will probably be my final thought on it. I look at as the sport grows, the staff or that the volunteers have to grow as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there has to be a certain number of people. You can't have five thousand people on a course and cover that with six people holding a string. You know, you need a certain percentage of people that are in the in the staff of the tournament saying, hey, let's clear it out. Let's, you know, and you don't have you don't have to do that. Once yeah. the lead card's gone through a hole, everybody moves forward and they kind of, you know, make sure that things are out of the way. And just think of where that umbrella was. There was only like five people over there. Because that's not even really a walkway for the spectators. So it's even a question of like how they even got in that area. You know, mm-hmm. they were just kind of working their way to that area. And that's probably not even an area they should have been. But because there maybe wasn't a staff person there or the inclement weather or whatever it was, that's how that person ended up there. And that's how that umbrella ended up there. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate. We have to learn from it. Do I think it affected the outcome of the tournament? No, but I think it also puts a little doubt into it because we would have all loved to have seen what that disc did if it didn't hit the umbrella. Yeah, I, I don't think I think you're right. I think we got the same result we would have gotten as far as a winner had that not happened. Because I don't believe again, yeah. I don't believe that if if he hits that and and goes out of bounds, we'll say that he takes anything worse than the five he or the double bogey he took. So. I, I just don't. Do I don't think, think it, it would have been worse if if it had kicked at Obi. Oh yeah, this whole topic yeah. conversation. Yeah, I, I believe right? so. Because I think then people... you would have all the Ricky people saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, that kicked at Obi. Like, sure. what the heck? You know." Yep. Especially if it kicked Obi, and then he went on to do the same thing he did. Like, people would be right. just yeah. ridiculous. Right. It would be ridiculous, and maybe we're fortunate that we got the result we did. Um, but. You're right. I, I don't no know. Yeah. I'm sure it would have been worse. Yeah. Terry, right. she, well, do you want to talk about a little bit about FPO before we move on to yeah, MPO? And just, please. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah, let's do that because I'm was just uh, i just texting Ricky. Again, I'm assuming that he is it's, the game finish. Uh, it's in, since, the game's in Cincinnati, isn't it? No, it's in Boston. Really? Because when I, I was looking... Red that would be really weird if he's it, at the that, that's what I'm, if he's at this <laughs> I understand that last time I checked who but Terry it says leads way in Cincinnati wow yeah 
So maybe I, I he's was about not at a Boston Red Sox game. No. Oh, maybe I, he's just visiting. Do they do like watch parties? I don't. What do I know? I, I thought it was weird because I was like, Boston's yeah, up right. five to one, and it was the bottom of the ninth. And I'm like, no, if they're in Boston, where technically you would think he would be, th- he should be gone from that game because it should be over. But clearly, it's in Cincy, so. You're absolutely right. I'm just watching the highlights, and it was a there was a home yeah, run, Jack, yeah. uh, and it was in Cincinnati. So yeah, maybe Ricky was just visiting the stadium. Hey, that you know, look, that's what weird. you get. You you get could be. a little some perks <laughs> yeah. when you're the champion of the GMC. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing now. DD just fired up the helicopter and just yeah buzzed him in there. Yeah, dropped it. Just, just dropped him over the green monster. Let him let him sit there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, something uh, like that. All right, either way, we'll uh, we'll wait to find out. I just text him and see if we'll get an update. But yeah, let's touch on some uh, FPO action and and literally, uh, y- you know, full disclosure. Normally, I'm kind of really double checking everything before we go live uh, in terms of things that are being posted and said. We were doing some commentary for the uh, final round of the Swedish event that I just attended, but I did see a post and it. I'm going to just read it um, because it's part of the conversation for tonight. Katrina had just posted an hour ago saying, for the first time since 2013, I placed outside the cash line. In fact, I haven't missed cash in an Elite Series event since 2011. Although my cash streak is a record, it's hard to believe it's over. I'm evaluating both my physical and mental game uh, and look forward to the challenge it'll take me to get back to playing great golf again. From my past experiences, both in life and my disc golf career, I've learned so much from the difficult times like this, although it's hard to see how. I know I'll look back and be grateful for the opportunity to become a better golfer and person by overcoming. And um, that's only yeah, assuming she gets clearly. to be. That's that's only assuming she gets better, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, yeah. And I, let, <laughs> let's be real. I I can't. I, I there's yeah. no way someone as good as Cat doesn't bounce back. But very much, you know, not in a in a positive sense, but very much a conversation. Yeah. Footnote of this weekend: Katrina Allen, Sarah Hokum, both of them. And Paige Not almost catching. missed it. One stroke. And she had Paige, to birdie the last birdies hole. Birdies the last hole. So I, I, I'll go right to you, Dawg. Like, what do you make of of all-time greats? Paul McBeth missed it at DDO this year. He said he was too stubborn, wouldn't change his game plan. Kale, uh, I believe, streak came to an end. But all-time great in Katrina and Sarah not cashing at this event. What's like your gut reaction to that? Well, my gut reaction is that all streaks have to come to an end at some point. You know, it, is it hard when it happens? Yeah. My cash streak ended at the Brent Hambrick Memorial, which was a tournament that I had played extremely well. And I'll tell you right now, after that tournament was over, I was in a dark, dark place. A dark, dark place. Because um, you're not used to that. You're not used to, especially for somebody like Katrina Allen, you're not used to not competing at the highest level. She said in her post since 2011. I mean, that's, uh, what, 11 years? 11 years. 11 years since she hasn't finished in the cash at an Elite Series event. And I, I, my initial reaction, because Katrina is so good, goes to, is she hurt? I, I, I think nothing more than that because... And and players play through injuries all the time. And I just want to know, is she hurt? Is she not 100%? Because if she isn't, well, then it makes a little bit more sense. If it's just she had a bad weekend, she played bad. And again, from experience, at the handbrake, I knew I was out of the cash going into the final round. 
and I was like clawing and scratching. I was just trying too hard. Yeah. And ultimately that additional pressure that sent me further down the toilet bowl. And so I don't know. I I'm I'm not ready to to even question Katrina, but it hasn't been her best season, but yet she's still one of the best players. I just, it's hard for me to fathom. I think about her and Paige. I think about those two who, for the longest time, rarely were finishing off of a podium. And now to see both of them have their struggles this year has just, has just thrown the FPO conversation just totally out the window from what you've experienced. You, you always have said Paige and Kat show up. Everyone else is, you know, essentially playing for third at that point. And then this year, it's been truly nothing like that. They just have not been a dominant force that I've come to get used to over these last 10 years or so. And then to to see both of them in jeopardy of not cashing along with Sarah Holcomb, um, it, it, honestly, it just kind of takes me back. It just makes it so surprising because I, I think I can answer it for you. I don't believe Katrina's hurt in any physical sense. You know, she's hmm. talked a little bit about adjusting her, uh, you know, her form when it comes to her driving. Her putting, I feel like, has turned a corner sometime last year. Gotten and has better. been yeah. very, very solid 100%. for the most part. Every time at least we're seeing her on coverage. Um I, I don't know what it was other than just clearly not, not executing Yeah, this just weekend. not playing good. I mean, that's just simply it. It's just you're just not playing good. I want to put my yeah, my uh, <laughs> my AM Sports Talk radio hat on and, and get into the, the silly weeds. How much do we think it's mental? How much do we think that these women now are looking at, maybe less Sarah Holcomb, because I think Sarah, I'm so, and let me, let me preface to say, I'm sorry, Sarah Holcomb, but she's on the downside of her career. She's older. She's playing Masters. She, the, the, maybe the FPO drive isn't there anymore, but for the other women, for Kat and Paige, how much do we think it might be mental looking at all these younger women who are dominating and throwing further than them that is it, is it possible that they're just, their head's not in the right space that they, that they now for the first time in their careers are, are, are really sensing doubt that they dominate this division and that's showing in their game. What do you think? Doss? Being, being a man I who's mean, not we, on the downside of his career. <laughs> uh, I left before I started to hit that slippery slope. Um, <laughs> um, no, I look, I totally agree with you. It It, it is mental. It, 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 and all of these things we're talking about, they're not, it's not, they're not oblivious to it. But what do we say when, when we see really good players in any sport? not play up to their ability. It's always mental. Your mind is not in the right place. You're not thinking about the right things. The preparation's not there. You have um, things that are distracting you, whether it's other hobbies or other interests, or you're just not having a great week. You know, I, it'll be interesting to see how, how she bounces back, you know, and the, the Sarah Holcomb conversation is, I think an interesting conversation from the fact that we look at, own Scoggins, who is a master's level player as well. And I mean, I don't know what you guys think. I, that, that is just up and up and up. She gets more and more confident every single week. She can't throw any further than Sarah Hokum that I can, that I can tell. I mean, I haven't seen them play together that often, but her mental game, she just absolutely loves playing disc golf, throwing shots, making putts, just having a good time, smiling. 
And so, you know, to answer your question, yes, it's got to be mental because <laughs> look at how own is from a physical standpoint, she's not throwing any further than anybody else, but she's still battling for second and third place. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, it it really is. Yeah, and obviously I, comparing own and Sarah Holcomb, uh, you know, I think I think Sarah probably has a slightly more accurate forehand, but own has, I think, a, a slightly better forehand and a much better backhand and a much better putt. So I think we're seeing gotcha. we're, we're seeing what a putt can do. A really dominant putt can do in the FPO division uh, between her and Tatar like that is because that's what own is doing. She's hitting like 30 some percent from circle two. Those are, I mean, to compare, those are phenomenal MPO numbers. And yeah. and and own is and own is, you know, just gliding through the the FPO field on these just great, great, great uh putting numbers. So it's have, it's really have nice you to see. looked at own Scoggins like money for the year? It's it's astronomical. Yeah. I think she for for 2022, I think she's already made more money than I ever made in any individual season. Now, again, I retired in 2018. Mm-hmm. Retired. I never thought I was retired, <laughs> but I guess I am now. You just said <laughs> it. Did, more time did you, with you file, than anybody else? Did you file your paperwork with the PDGA <laughs> yeah. yet for retirement? Yeah. <laughs> well, I must have because they took down all my stats, but uh, that's another conversation. Ooh, oh, burn. <laughs> Ouch. Um, but I, 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 I'm like... I'm blown away by that. And that yeah. just shows, and you look at it, it's like top 10 after top five, after top three, like time after time again. So I just got to say, like, I know that there's people struggling, but there's also people like playing way above or getting better still. Yeah. yeah and, and let me just back a few of those details up, uh, especially after we add on the Green Mountain weekend, uh, where Own picked up yet another $3,000. Own's earnings... Let's put it this way. In FPL, she's played 27 events. She's won a few dollars short of 40 grand. You uh, add in her FP40, she's won three events, all three that she's entered, and tack on another six grand. So she's sitting just a, a few hundred dollars short of $46,000. And how much for did the she year. win at the match play? Uh, at, and she won another ten grand at the match play. Mm-hmm. Add that so in. So Owen Scoggins uh, is is out there doing work, and it's it's just incredible to see what she's putting together and to play that many events. Yes, doesn't that show some durability as well? For sure. I mean, she had twenty seven open events so far. Again, plus the match play, and then three more FP forty events. And you know, she's just a, a few days over. You know, or. A, 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 a tad north of 40 and uh looks like there's just no slowing down for her so yeah. it's it's so impressive what she's been doing and we'll back up a few details from this weekend she was first in c1x putting at 88 uh, percent a couple years ago when when Corey ellis and or andrew marweed were leading putting I think their their end of the year stat was like eighty nine percent so something like that so eighty eight percent c1x putt she was third in circle two putts at 25% of them, which is, uh, looks like uh, she made five. Uh, yeah, she was five for 20. Five for 20. And then here's, here's what I think is maybe one of the most impressive stats out of all of them off the page. Second in birdies collected. You don't think of, of a Fox Run Meadows, and you don't think of some of these holes and think, Man, yeah, that's where Owen's just going to go, just you know, 
pick up a whole bunch of birdies and put them in her basket. That's what she's going to be doing. You think, well, okay, she's going to play a little bit safer and make some more putts and then just escape danger more. But it was not the case. She was out there collecting birdies when others weren't. At one point during the final round, I think I said she had like six birdies and the other three card mates of her only <laughs> had seven combined. Yeah. So Own is getting more birdies than other women as well, you know, just shy of Tatar, who I think is leading in the birdie category for the season as well. No surprise with her results, but it's just funny because when you think about Own and her game and her finishes and her performances, you, you it feels very different from what how Kristen arrives there, but yet she's finishing on the podium right near Kristen almost every event, it feels like. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, yes, Owen Scoggins uh, very much, you know, kind of uh, quietly getting it done while entertaining us. And I, yeah, she just, I just feel like she makes it fun. Exactly. She, she does. just makes it fun to watch, you know, like just the, the just that happy, like I am happy to be here playing no matter what happens. Because even something bad happens to her and she's still like. She I'm, laughs. She laughs. I'm not even going to lie. she's the first to say, oh, I took a double bogey. Yeah. Well. That's better than a triple. Let's move yeah. on. Like uh, there's there's so always impressive. the talk about like who's your dream foursome. I know that's a, like a conversation people like to have. Like who would you love to like she's in it for me. Yeah. To play around with her seems like no matter what happens, I could throw 3 of them in the drink at Fountain and I and she would probably jump in and with me and to go get them. Like it, she is so much fun that I think that uh I can't imagine Anyone, I've never seen anyone upset playing around with her, ever. Me neither. Yeah, it's she. Yeah, she well, brings it. She brings. If you're it not to having the a good time around her. It's your fault. Yeah, like let's put it that way. Uh, uh, like that's yeah, that's, that's you, what I would huh? say. Yeah, it, it's not her. It's you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so All let's right. let's well, real quick talk. Go, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I was say we can talk a little bit about the results of FPO. We saw Kristen Tatar obviously take this one down relatively easily. I think she was tied going into the final round. She shot seven strokes better than Henna and won by seven. Henna, once again, just kind of uh, having issues with her putter and OB, just not working out for her, as we discussed, Own Scoggins in third. Missy Gannon uh, jumps into fourth place. Fifth place, Valerie Mondahano. Sixth place, Evelina Salonen. Uh, seventh place, Natalie Ryan, which is a name we haven't heard recently. I think now that we're getting back into the woods, her her strengths are uh, are starting to dissipate. Um, she's much more of a uh, of a distance thrower. So, but I, I think I, I got a good feeling about her at uh, at MVP or at yeah the MVP Open. I almost went way old school with that name of that event. Uh, Diesel, uh, dude, Deanne I Carey. messed that up. I messed that up oh. during the show too because I, I have I, to. I, I've got so many names in my head for it. Well, yeah, I, I want, I'm just going to call it Vibram or just call it the Steve Dodge. Uh, the MSDGC. <laughs> that's what I'm going back to. I'm going to call it the MSDGC. Marshall Street. Yep. Yep. Uh, Deanne Carey, Diesel in eighth place. And then rounding out your top 10, uh, Tate, Finley, and Hansen. So that, those, are your, those are your top women. Terry, did anything surprise you in the FBO field at all? Like, other, I mean, other than the cuts, yeah, without we, beating it to death. Yeah, other, yeah, other than the women death, who, you have to, who didn't. I mean, you just you, even Paige, who made the cut, but like we said, had to you know make the you know the final putt in round three to get into the cut. Clearly, that's that's crazy. I mean, she talked in the interview in the press conference interview about how she understood with two rounds left to play, there was just 
legitimately way too much ground to make up on Kristen. And then you look at this event, uh, I, th- I think she was back 18 with two rounds left to play. Uh, you know, to Kristen, or maybe it was 21 at the time, whatever the whatever the number was, and it's just it's just crazy. I mean, I'm you look at her scorecard and you see that in the final round, in the final round, she had one birdie. She birdied hole 17. I mean, that I think I think going to do it. That's just insane. No, that's that's insane. I mean, did she have? Only one or two other people had less birdies than her in an entire field, and Paige is one of the the greatest of all time, most dominant competitors we've ever seen, and and like Katrina this weekend especially, just d- didn't have her stuff. And I don't want to say it's hard for me to swallow. It's just it's very odd for me to see. Well, it's well, shocking. Yeah, I mean, shocking is a great it's, word. It's simply shocking. The past month, I don't even really know how to explain it. Yeah, the past month, both both women have not been shooting what we expect them to shoot, even close to what we expect them to shoot. Like it doesn't surprise me that Tatara's winning, even, but it does surprise me how far back the, those other two women are. You know, if they're taking fourth and fifth yes. and sixth, I'm I'm like, okay, Tatar is clearly still playing very well, but they're they're not only just not shooting, Tatar's not only dominating. Those other women are not even competing at their level. Like they're they're yeah. they're checked out, and I don't understand why. Obviously, we said some sort of mental thing. Um, how do you feel about the playoff, like playoff system, like the new? You know, we're getting all ramped up for the postseason. Is this? Does it matter? Does it? Uh, do you, do yeah, you feel, so Does it feel like postseason quick, to you? Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, let me say this real quick. Um, more appropriate disclaimer than ever before, considering our backdrop. Uh, all <laughs> views expressed uh, here tonight are those exclusively of Terry Miller, of Smashbox TV, and of the Disc Golf Guy, and are not uh, reflective of uh, the Disc Golf Pro Tour, who often contracts me. Um, I got the right backdrop. You don't. <laughs> the, the, to me, as you lobbed up that question, I was thinking, and I know Mo is out there watching. Who he was. I think he went to bed. Invent this. Implement it. It sounds terrible, and I'm going to still say it. It 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 meant no difference to me whatsoever. And now I wasn't on the ground. I'm not c- clearly vying for any of those extra 125 percentage points. I get all of that. I I like the idea of trying to make it more exciting. And I and I maybe it has to like still settle in, or or it will grow into more excitement. Or but for me. The Green Mountain Championships, the MVP Open, are incredible standalone events at world-class facilities. Even if I went there and I was fed, um, you know, ice cream every night, I, 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 the playoffs wouldn't have mattered any more to me. Like, from that perspective. Now, will it grow in five years while I'd be eating those words with my ice cream? Maybe. But right now, I... I as a non-employed person of the Disc Golf Pro Tour with my own brain and my own thoughts, it didn't mean anything to me. I think I, mean, I the... think that's okay yeah, go ahead, to Nate. say. Yeah, no, I, I really think that's okay to say, Terry. I, I, and even, regardless of the disclaimer, I, I think where we are, um, and we have been for a long time, is we're trying to learn. And you can only learn to by testing it out. Yep, I mean, sure. think about when Steve Dodge put the Tour Championship as the tour championship. It's not the same 
that it was when we played it the first time up in at, at GMC that first year as it is this year. Things progress. You got to test it out. I think there's things I like about it. I like that these are additive tournaments. I like that those points don't get to get dropped. I, you know, I, there's already people that have earned their spots, you know, cat and, and page, they played terrible. They didn't move anywhere, but Hannah Bloomroos further down the board. Well, she moved closer to being inside that cut line. Evelina Salonen. I think at the bottom, it's better. At the top, it's not as important. As impactful. As impactful at the moment. But um, I think you have to do it to see what happens. At the end of the day, I said it a million times off air and on air. We're here to play for the GMC. And we're here to put our name next to some great champions. And this week at Maple Hill, same thing. So those are the most important things. But the Tour Championship is for a lot of money, for a lot of pride, it's a nice way, you know, to, to make a little more drama to get in or out. That's what I'll say. Jeff. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I love that the points don't drop. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that is, Terry. <laughs> um, uh, I love that the points don't drop. I think the issue that we have, and this might just get fixed with, you know, future technologies, is that the people that this matters to the most we don't see, you know, uh, for, for the most part, like, mo- like you sure. said, most of the people are going to be locked in. Who did this matter for a lot this past weekend? Brody Smith, who shot up with one and half points. But you, you know what we did? We saw a scorecard because we can't have cameras everywhere. And, you know, who, by the way, sick final round too. great, great final really round. Yeah, final round. just there's there yeah. some great stat Mando stats that he's like in the he's in the top 10 for birdies on the season. He's also wow. in the top 10 for bogeys in the season, bogeys plus in the season. Oh, yeah, right. So he's, I mean, he's right, a young right. player. He's not young. He's young to the sport. So he's going to have those fluctuations. Yes. <clears throat> but people like him, people that are fighting to push themselves up into the, th- into the bottom of this stuff, that is where these events, I think, matter the most um, as far as a playoff scenario. You know, the top of the team, your, your Dickerson, your McBeth, your Waisaki, like, they, like you said, they're, they're fighting to put their name next to yours on that trophy. And yeah, or, or Ricky's looking to etch his name again and again and again yeah. and again and again. But <laughs> um, exactly. now does he just, does he keep putting his name on or does he like put slash marks? Yeah. <laughs> Is it just yeah, I was like say, the little, the little Ricky, hash marks? One, yeah. Now he just added, the, uh, he yeah, just yeah, added the yeah, sideways. The, yeah, the, are, those, are those claw marks or is that patented? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that's a whole different discussion. I, I, I want to add on. I want to just follow up to what you're saying. And I totally agree. And I did, actually didn't think about it that way. That you're right, we don't see those players. But pro side of that is we get to see them at the tour championship mm-hmm. because of the way it's broken down. Yes. So if those players do make it in, well, then they get their time because we do cover just four cards. I think it's like four cards, Johnny, you would know more than me. Like four or five cards, you know, per per round in yeah. the tour championship. And we get to see those players play. Are they going to be the ones that make it to the end? Yeah. Are they this year's Nathan usually. Queen? Yeah. What about a Nathan Queen scenario? Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, I agree with both of you. And I think it's okay for what Terry said, and I super agree with what Johnny said. Yeah, yeah we it just got Gavin Babcock, who's who's outside of the play-in. He moved down. Luke Humphreys moved out of the play-in position. Uh, and then right below both of them is Linus Carlson, who moved up seven, getting that much closer 
to a play-in position, as did Jake Hebenheimer. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, and Mo, who was one of the people that helped design this, I mean, he said it. He was like, yeah, whatever, this year it is what it is. But is his vision in years from now to see a big player maybe drop out? Yeah, I love that we have uh, this play-in. I love that they're trying new things. Um, I, I uh, As I've, I'm on record saying, I really loved the like one of the original style formats, the win your card and move up. I know a lot of people didn't because of the cards that were moved up and it wasn't necessarily fair that, you know, if you, it, you know, you might've shot a six and got knocked out and the guy who shot a five won his card and moved on again. It's the, the, the champion, it depends what you're looking for in the championship scenario, but I do love that the pro tour isn't afraid to change things up. They're not afraid to, uh, uh, try new scenarios with playoffs or tour finales or whatever they're doing that they keep looking for the the right scenario that provides the most excitement and drama and fan experience and player satisfaction. Try to find a happy medium there. I, I mean, it's close to impossible, but I think throwing a whole bunch of cash at that tour finale sure helps out. Yeah, and, and somebody on the board, if I scroll up, said something about maybe the playoffs isn't the best possible word, and may, maybe that like, is something minor that's yeah. that's got me hung up. I don't know if playoffs postseason that feels I better. love. I don't like. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, because you you think of the mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, playoffs, I think a lot of it sounds comes like a, from elimination connotation to me, as opposed to postseason, which has less of that. I think. But I agree, because I thought of that earlier, too. I'm like, ah, maybe it's just the word playoff. But I, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we're using we're using the format of the PGA Tour. I mean, in a lot of ways. You think about the FedEx Cup. That's a cumulative point system. Mm-hmm. The majors are worth more. The regular tour events are worth a certain amount. And then everybody makes it to the playoffs, and then they pare it down. Now, on the PGA Tour, I believe it's three or four events that they do in the playoffs. Okay. And then those all lead to the Tour Championship. And then when they get to the Tour Championship, it started off that they all started at zero, and now they're doing like a weird thing where the leader starts at 10 down. and the, like mm-hmm. It's a very weird system. And if you're a golf fan, you know, you're with me on this. But I also look at how exciting it was for those players to get into the tour championship. And then once you get there, anybody can win. I mean, if you just look at the list of FedEx cup champions, it's not always tiger and Rory and the best players in the world. It's your tiger certainly has won it. Then bill Haas wins it, you know, then Brent Snedeker wins it. These weren't the best players that season, but they were in the top 30 and then they performed well at that championship. They're the tour champion. So it all leads to this this one event, and then whoever wins that is considered the tour champion. And I think that kind, kind of, of rolls yeah. into the the next subject. I don't want to hammer this too much into the ground, which is you know the Ricky Wysocki quote of you know world champion versus what appears to be tour champion tour champion. How the world champion isn't always, and I know you guys talked about this on the broadcast. Uh, the world champion isn't yeah. always the best player of the year, and I kind of feel like he's right. We see that in every sport. The Super Bowl champions aren't always the best team in the NFL. You know, look, the the, the Patriots went 16-0 and 0 or whatever, and then in the regular, or 
15 and one, whatever they did in the regular season, couldn't complete the season. Yeah. They lost to the Giants. Sometimes it's the least injured team that's the best team at the end who tends to win the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, the one that didn't have their quarterback knocked out in the playoffs or something. It's it's not always the best team that is the world champion. And I understand where Ricky's coming from when he when he's talking about that. But I think that if you look at what he's saying is that maybe you can kind of distill it. And I hope Ricky comes on because we can ask him about it as to yeah, he's going to be on any second now. Oh, great. All right. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Oh, that's great. That's great. Then we can maybe distill it as, you know, we need to pump up the tour point season better. Maybe that's a, a good way around it. We, we, we do hold a lot of weight in the world championship. And I think that is, and we don't need to get into this with Ricky, but I think that's for historic reasons. People always ask, well, why does this one tournament determine, you know, who is our quote unquote world champion? That's kind of weird and whatever. And I kind of think back, it's like, well, it's the same reason we play Tuesday to Saturday because we haven't always been a professional sport where people were dedicated to a tour. The world championships was like the one event. Everybody made it a point to go to, you know, not everyone went to master's cup. Not everyone went to the Memorial. Not everyone went down to Sarasota. Not everyone went to the East coast for these events. It was a lot of regional and then a very few touring pros that would do that. The world championships. It didn't matter where it was. Everybody went. You had the best of the best, and that's why it was the world championship. And so I think that's where we're, we're still rooted in this history. Um, and I said the same thing about the Tuesday to Saturday in that we were volunteers. Everyone had to get out by Sunday. No one wanted to take another day off of work. You had to give people that extra exactly. day to, to get out of there. That's why we played until Saturday. Because if you play until Sunday, no one gets out of there till Monday, and you have to take another day off, and it just rolls up. And we're, we were working with what? How many PDGA staff members, Terry, started, were, were full-time 10 to 12 years ago? Six? Five? Uh, no, it, at most it was eight or ten, and now we're upwards yeah. of, you know, 20 yeah. or... So, I mean, we have the staff the now, so, I mean, be. we're moving towards that Wednesday to Sunday, but back in the day, when everybody was a volunteer that was coming in and spending their time, that's why it was Tuesday to Saturday. And I feel like a lot of our sport is still rooted in this history that we have to slowly kind of tear out these roots and and move on. And it's going to hurt for some people, for some of the, the people like you and me and the, the older guys that that look at it and be like, well, it's been that way. I don't mind that it changes, but uh, it's it's I, just I, I interesting. Just, I, I like. Yeah, I like what you said, Johnny, though, about the history of things. And obviously, I mean, I think we're all massive sports fans here. Um, that's why we do this. That's why we're a part of this, this whole world. But I don't like comparing individual sports to team sports. Um, it's tough. It's a lot I, tougher. I, I, I like to compare individuals to individuals. So if I was going to talk about basketball, I might compare LeBron to Ricky or LeBron to Paul McBeth or somebody like that. I go to the other two massive individual sports, which is tennis and golf. And these, these, these industries are worth billions at this mm -hmm. point. And if you look at tennis, it, the majors are more difficult to win. They're, they're seven matches over two weeks. A normal big event in tennis is one week long. And I believe you have to win four, three or four matches, depending on, I think, what your seat is. So, and, but if you win the French Open, you are the French Open champion. That is like massive. If you win the golf masters, you are the master's champion. That is huge. 
This is the format we have, is playing events and becoming a champion. That's the point. Champions in individual sports are not crowned over months or years or days or weeks. It's, it's, it's play these events, and whoever can win those events is the best. That's, that's the boiled down what we do. Once you go to the season-long stuff, that's a separate topic. It's the tour champion, and tennis has that, and golf has that. And that's also a massive title to have, but it's totally separate because it's earned over time. But you ultimately, even in tennis, you play all year long. You go to the tour championship. It's only eight people. Those people play in round robin. They play against each other. Eventually, there is a championship match, and whoever wins that is the tour champion. They're not anything else. They're the tour champion. So I don't I mean, know. I, think... I'm very, I, would, I would love to have, hear Ricky's talk, like more in-depth thoughts about it. But well, we can do that kind of because in our green room right now, oh, okay. we have green room. one. And, and, and Nate, I'll get, you, I'll get you in this call here in just a second. But we have one Ricky Wysocki. Ricky, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. What up, Rick? Yeah, Ricky. Hey, what's up, guys? Can you hear me? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, you sound uh, before great. Before we go any Good. any farther, I want to quickly make a, a full clarification. Last night, I reached out to Ari. I figured I'd go right to her about you joining tonight. She replied. I just reread it. She replied saying, uh, we're going to the Woo Sox game. I, I very much interpreted that as, the as Red her Sox. putting her own spin on her going to the Red Sox game. And now that I see Ella Hansen and a few others posting about being at the Woo Sox game, a AAA affiliate of the Red Sox, I now stand fully corrected, which is why you weren't in Cincinnati, which is why you weren't at uh, down at the Green Monster. So I take full blame it, for all of the, the mis- the miscommunication out there, but Ricky Wysocki <laughs> in the house, our Green Mountain champion, champion. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. Yeah, I'm just spending some time. We went to, like you said, the Woo Sox game. I think there was like a, it was like a pro tour day over there. So we had a lot of the pro tour guys over out there. Like you said, Matty O and Ella both threw out the first pitch. So that was pretty cool. What? And, uh, nice. Yep. So they both did. Yeah, it was really, it was really neat. So we had a bunch of disc golfers hanging out. They had a, they were, it was like disc golf day at the ballpark kind of deal. So it was fun. Uh, and um, so that's triple A, right? Is that what yep. I saw? Yeah, it's like a silver series for baseball. <laughs> okay, that's a good way, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. So, so is that still entertaining for you? I mean, you don't go to silver series events. You don't got time for that. <laughs> no, it was it was fun. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I watched a lot of baseball. It was more like hanging out and oh, another disc golfer walked by and talked to them for a little bit, and then you go. Oh, you know, then another disc golfer walks by five minutes later. So it's more of just kind of socializing, hanging out, and watch a pitch here and there. So I, don't, I couldn't even tell you the score when I left. <laughs> so it's more just to well, socialize and hang out. Well, that's perfect. Now, speaking of watching or seeing anything, all I've been seeing for the last two days, or not seeing, is Maple Hill and the fog on the course. What is that like? What What is going on out there? Is it, and is it supposed to continue to be foggy? Because... Every single post on Instagram and on social media is just fog, like where you can't yeah, see down the fairway yeah, 300 feet. Fog. Yeah, so that was on Monday after the event, and I think that 
it was yeah, it was crazy. People were throwing like whole one over the water, and you didn't know at all where it could be in a Christmas tree, it could be in the water. You don't have any idea. Um, and yeah, so that was that was crazy. I was actually in downtown Boston, so it was cool. All the all the skyscrapers were like cut off from the fog, like halfway up the building. So I think it was. I don't think it's gonna be like that the rest of the week because today I practiced and it wasn't like that. But uh, yeah, pretty unique conditions. I've never seen anything like that at Maple Hill. And so just to clarify, uh, it's about three and a half, maybe four hours, depending on uh, on how fast you're rolling, to get from the Green Mountain Resort or the Smuggler's Notch Resort in Green Mountain uh, area to, down to Maple Hill, right? Three and a half, four hours? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so did did I see everyone roll out on on Monday morning? Were there were there any uh, fun zone activities Sunday night? What was going on? Yeah, so so I definitely I stayed in town, had some had a good breakfast on Monday, and I had my victory um, victory uh, meal. It was it was actually really funny. I went to like one of the local shops in Vermont, and they had creamies, which is like soft serve ice cream mixed with maple syrup. <laughs> and it's a total Vermont mm-hmm. thing; you can only get that in Vermont. So I was telling Ari and my whole crew that I was with all week, I'm like, all right, if I win the tournament, we're all going to go out and get maple creamies because obviously I try to eat healthy and, and eat clean as much as I can, but I was going to splurge. And, uh, and so we went, it was like breakfast, like we went that night and everything was closed after the tournament. So I was like all bummed out. And then I went for breakfast the next morning. We woke up and it was like nine 30 or something, went to a local shop and this lady, like, I'm like, Oh, I was all pumped to get a creamy. And she's like, it was like nine 30 in the morning. And, uh, and she's like, Oh yeah, it's breakfast of champions. And she had no idea who I was or what, like the disc golf tournament was going on. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is really fitting. I have breakfast of champions. No doubt. How would you know? <laughs> it was so random. Uh, and so yeah, the, uh, creamies was the breakfast of champions on Monday. Yeah, I feel weird asking if you got your creamies, but it sounds like you did. So <laughs> yep, I did. <laughs> good to hear. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so as you can see, very special. We got Nate Doss, uh, who put an end to that little streak you previously had out at GMC. Uh, Nate Doss is in the house tonight, and we've got Johnny V. But uh, I, we're going to lead right into it. We kind of talked about it already. How how much conversation have you had about the umbrella umbrella and, gate? And are you in fact yeah? Are you in fact sick of talking about it? And, and so give us well, give us your take, yeah. and then maybe we can move on. No, no, I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought it up. So, I think the two things that I've basically got feedback from was the obviously the umbrella, and then the emotion. Some people were giving me like, I guess I don't know, bad feedback or something. I don't. I don't really know how to take it, but they were just, I guess, talking talking bad about me, like letting out emotion. So I guess I'll shed some light on both of those. So the first the okay. first uh, thing is the umbrella. When I threw the shot on what was that hole fourteen? Uh, fourteen. Yep. When I hit the umbrella, when I threw the shot, I actually thought that I hit like the OB stake. I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was really close to the stake, and um, and so I heard something when I threw it, and I was like, all right, whatever. And then I walked up there. And the spectator was like, oh, yeah, you hit the umbrella or something. And uh, and I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. Like I didn't know where the umbrella was or anything. And I looked back at the video. I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, and I watched it a couple times. I was like thinking like, oh, you know, trying to determine if I was going to go OB or not. It was like – I think it was like a 50-50 shot, like if I would have went OB or not. Um, but, um, but I mean at the end of the day, the hole would have played out way different. You know, if I went OB, I probably may would maybe would have just got a four, a bogey instead of a five after everything that happened on that hole. So the hole could have very likely played out completely different if I did go out of bounds and didn't hit an umbrella. You know, so you, yeah, and, it, it definitely and, and was maybe, a crazy moment inter- in the tournament. 
Yeah, and let me interject to that. Let, let's just play pretend. You hit the umbrella. You stay out of bounds. You don't make the putt, even though you'd made every other putt from OB. But let's just say you don't make the putt. Maybe your four, which is still a bogey, maybe it just doesn't affect you the same way the wildness of the five that did, right? Is I mean, clearly it's all you, we'll never know. But it would yeah. still be a bogey, but it might have sat better than the double that you did take, maybe? Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, it would have been a whole different mindset. I mean, it was funny. I, I think I seen someone say, "Dis don't lie," <laughs> or something like this. That, you know, this wanted to go be on the drive, and then it ended up going out of bounds on the putt. Uh, so, this don't lie. So, probably, yeah, this didn't lie on that hole. That's for sure. I mean, sometimes it does, but not on that 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 day. It didn't. <laughs> well, it didn't want to lie down. That's for sure. So, yeah, uh, no. There's nothing you can do as you walk up. As you said, you, you pretty much ignored it. Doss, you called it. You know, when you walked up, clearly somebody said, we couldn't hear it exactly, but somebody had said, oh, you know, you, you probably had said you hit, you know, the umbrella, and you're like, okay, whatever. I mean, you couldn't tell from way back there. Did you feel as if, even though you knew you, you thought you hit the stake, did you feel like it wasn't that great of a shot in the first place? Did that, is that what it felt like? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I'm trying to throw that right gap. So a lot of people try to throw the inside uh, gap on the left. And uh, it's a little obviously more risky throwing the right gap that I'm throwing. But I like it because there's um, if you throw the correct shot, there's really there's a nice landing zone to the right side of the basket about 20, 30 feet right where there's no trees. You basically just throw a nice flex shot nice and straight. Like I did the first round, I threw it to like 20 feet. And so – I just like the play. I think it's for me. It's a. It fits my natural. I have a natural flex. Flex shot is my natural. You know, natural shot shape, and so it just fits that my eye really a lot better than the up the middle shot. And I did pull it a little bit to the right, uh, to where it was going close to the out of bounds line, and so, yeah, that's that's the risk you take when you start going towards out of bounds line when you got galleries and people and umbrellas. I mean, I could have hit the umbrella and also bounced out of bounds too. You know, it could have, you know, could have went both ways. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it was, it was crazy. I didn't, and I didn't obviously know, you know, how I hit it or, you know, if it kept me in or out, I just knew I hit an umbrella. I didn't know if it helped me or hurt me or anything. So it wasn't like I was going into it feeling guilty. Like I got away with one or something, you know, I just went up there and couldn't see it because I was, you know, blind, you know, from the tee pad. And so I think that helped my mindset not be like, oh, I just got super lucky. Like I better capitalize on it and put too much pressure on myself or, or something like that. You know, just so my mindset was pretty like pretty good, uh, you know, as opposed to like this, the gallery that could actually see what happened. Now, it, you, you had a veteran move, which I can really appreciate and I think is understated for a lot of players out there that maybe either are newer or just simply don't think about it with the emotions and the moment in that you knew when you went out of bounds on the putt that you could just take it from where you were. And I think a lot of people, you could be playing 20 years and still forget that that's an option. Hmm. Did you hesitate? Did you immediately know, oh, I'm just going to throw from here again? Did you think about it for one second? What what was going through your mind? And did you even consider going back down the hill? Or was that twice as far? You know, I guess just set up once it went out of bounds. What's everything that went through your mind? Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough spot. I mean it's because you know as your disc is rolling out of bounds, you want to like you want to rage and you want to get pissed. And so I kind of like I wasn't like happy about it, but I like definitely like didn't get as mad as I you know looking back as I definitely could have. I think that's what actually helped me you know not get too you know upset and really let it affect me and for the rest of the round. 
and uh, and so I think that that was super important. And and so as as soon as I saw my disc rolling towards the out of bounds, I that thought popped in my head like, oh, this goes ob, like I can just reput. And you know, it's not you know, it wasn't that tough of a putt, but once you do what I did and roll out of bounds, like that putt becomes a lot harder because <laughs> you're putting for five and you're you know still 20 feet away. You just missed it, watched it roll out of bounds, and all the craziness that already happened on the hole. So it just there was everything was fighting against you. And so that putt just becomes that much harder. It feels like double the distance almost because of the mental battle you're fighting with yourself. Um, there's so many, you know, so many things going on in your head. So you just got to focus on, focus on the mechanics, focus on what, you know, what I do all the time at the practice basket. And so um, it's so much easier said than done. But yeah, it's you know, I, I felt like I, you know, I calmed the nerves as much as I possibly could and got the bad thoughts out of my head. And yeah, like I said, I. You know, as it was rolling, I kind of saw it going towards out of bounds. So that pop, that that uh, thought of like, hey, I should just reput from here because it's way closer, and I'm putting for for the same uh, amount of strokes on the hole as I would if I went, you know, way down the hill to where I went out of bounds. I'm basically saving like 20 feet because I would have been like a 40 foot uphill putt okay. instead of the 20 feet I had. Yeah, and let let's uh, and now it looks like we've Johnny V's got it all queued up for us, so we can even watch it. Uh, and it's crazy because I didn't, I hadn't seen it from this angle. Uh, actually, and you know, clearly a little bit right, but man, the fact that it just popped up and immediately started rolling on you is uh, yep. is crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, and that then, that green, you you wouldn't think that green's not super sloped, but it's sloped enough to where if you start rolling like that, that can definitely happen. And um, and yeah, it just you know, it got on the right angle and at the, at the wrong time and, and just rolled out. So let, let's back up just a little bit. I know that's obviously was a very pivotal moment, but the, the what weren't pivotal moments were like the other seven times you threw out of bounds and then somehow saved par. What the hell was going through your head when all these different times, including hole one, when you're starting off with the fireworks, but all these different times when you had thrown out of bounds and then you step up and somehow you save the par anyway? What it? How was yeah, I mean, that? taxing you is is maybe the best word yeah i mean it it takes a lot every you know one of those putts just take a lot of mental energy to just you know you know you're already out of bounds and you basically par is the best score you can get now and so that's you know it gets exhausting because you're not giving yourself a chance for a birdie which you know that's our goal is to you know have a lot of chances at birdies and if you're a good putter you're going to capitalize on a lot of those and shoot good scores and so it's not a sustainable strategy to, you know, you know. Sometimes you're as a player, all right. I can throw the aggressive shot, and if I go out of bounds, I have confidence I'm going to make the putt. But it's not like a, you know, it almost seemed like that was a strategy. Like I throw it out of bounds and then make the putt. You know, like that's not what I was trying to do. That's what it's. I just, you know, a couple shots got, you know, grip. It was raining, and there's, so there's just lots of, you know, shots were a lot tougher because the conditions. You know, it wasn't. It didn't maybe didn't have perfect grip or you know whatever the case may be. It's 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 tricky in the rain and then and then when it stops raining, you almost get like clammy uh, fingers and it almost like you get like you know the pruny fingers that we've all had after it's done raining. So your grip turns a little different and and so even when it's done raining after it rains a lot and then stops, it's just it, your grip isn't quite the same even when the rain is done. And so. Um, yeah, just having a little bit of grip issues, and you know, luckily with the putter, I wasn't I wasn't having grip issues with the putter, and I was just I knew that's how I had to score is by saving par because you can still score that way, especially conditions when it's raining, is because pars are, are good when it's super torrential downpour, like it was the first you know three or four holes, it was 
raining pretty good. And so I just, I knew that pars were good when I, when it was raining. And I think that, you know, that kind of mentality helped me, you know, grind out those pars that I did in the beginning of the round that really allowed me to, um, you know, maintain the lead and uh, keep the pressure on Chris, who was the next, you know, me and him were basically battling for most of the round. And so I think that, um, you know, a couple of times I, I gained, you know, I hit some nice par putts and actually gained strokes on Chris. Well, and that's, that was maybe the follow-up is, do you feel like, I, I, clearly you're doing your best, but do you feel like that's aggravating to other players that you're kind of like low-key pissing them off when it's like, <laughs> dude, this guy keeps throwing out of bounds and I'm not even picking up strokes on him. I mean, clearly that's not your, that wasn't your initial game plan. Isn't that their fault though? It's got to be frustrating. What? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's got to be frustrating though, right? When everybody thinks they're going to get a stroke on you and then you're you know, banging along. Yeah. I know. For me, if I'm battling against somebody and somebody throws out of bounds, just naturally you're like, all right, I'm in bounds. They're out of bounds. So I should get a stroke. Um, and so it definitely like mentally yeah. you're like, it's very frustrating, especially the more and more it happens. Um, but that's all the stuff that we fight through mentally every day as players, you know, you're watching people bounce off trees, get lucky. And you know, whether it's, you know, you know, you earning the putt by making it or getting lucky. There's just so many variables that go on in your head. So that's all stuff as a professional that you got to fight through. You know, if someone's throwing in shots from all over the place, well, this this is what you got to deal with, and that's what you got to do. If someone's shanking shots and bouncing off trees and going straight in the basket, well, that's that's the set of you know circumstances you got to fight through if you want to win this event. So there's always new things like that, new players that are playing good. There's always going to be somebody there, and so for me, that's what I know. Like. It's never going to be, you know, easy, and it's never, you know, almost never going to coast to a win. And I, you know, and as much as that's, you know, as a player, we're we're in it to take the drama out, to dominate. As a, you know, that we want to dominate the media. Yeah, obviously, you want close close tournaments and people battling back and forth, long putts, you know, long drives, and you know, all that stuff. But as a player, our goal is to take the drama out, and that's the highest chance you have to win. Is because you you allow yourself to have a bad break here and there, and still still win versus if you're battling and have a bad break down the stretch, like that rollaway putt could have cost me the tournament. And so um, that's, you know, I guess the biggest thing is as a player is um, just the mental side is so different every tournament. And that's, that's the beauty of being a professional is you never know what you're going to get. And so, and you know, week in and week out, it's, it's the best players that handle that mental battle with themselves and the circumstances that are happening. Did all of that, lead up to is all of that building and comes out on 18 after the drive because i don't know if i've ever seen anyone on the fairway on a final hole react like that is this is this one of the biggest reactions you've ever had on a drive like i I can't because i can't count even for world championships i don't think i've ever seen anyone react like this yeah no i so for me it was it was um yeah it was definitely uh, of just all of my emotions came out because the, the way I look at it is, you know, obviously in the moment, you know, we, me and Chris were tied going into that hole. So it's basically nothing else matters. You know, it's this whole 18 is, you know, it's, it's a, you know, I think it's one of the hardest driving holes on the whole course and the whole tournament came down to it. And, and once he threw out of bounds, I basically knew that, Hey, my one goal is to throw inbounds. If I can throw inbounds, the tournament is over. It's no different than if I were to hit, if I were to hit a 30 or 40 footer, I would have had that same celebration because I'm just excited that that's the moment that 
I was working for all week, you know, to practice in practice and all year to, you know, give myself a chance to win. And this is, I'm capitalizing on it. That's amazing. And so, and, and, and for me on top of that, it was all the, you know, the roll away and the bad luck that I fought through and all this other stuff that was, you know, going on in my head to, that I would dropped all that and just executed that shot, which is the biggest shot in the tournament, uh, to get the win. And so I, I got excited because like I, like I would if I hit a 40-footer for the win. The tournament was pretty much over at that point because, you know, with Chris going out of bounds, you know, on that hole situationally, if you go out of bounds on that hole, uh, as Nate knows, that, you know, you're basically 40, 50 feet off the tee and you're not getting up and down from there. And I was, you know, 250 feet away from the basket. You know, I could have got a three uh, if, I, if I, you know, if I had to, but I was obviously going to play for par. So once I threw that shot in bounds, the tournament was was basically over, uh, and so that's when I knew the moment that I won, and so that's so some, really the some people. The, yeah, and and I, I I clearly that makes all perfect sense. So as you're saying, some people may have been a little bit critical of you, may, maybe digging into the idea or or scratching the surface of feeling like that's a little pre-celebratory or and or that I'll go as far as saying maybe even unsportsmanlike and you're celebrating your moment and and all that excitement is all is all built up and is releasing and and I'm I'm guessing what the critics are saying is hey that also felt a little disrespectful to Chris is is that is that a fair assessment is that what you think people are then getting at maybe even even though that I'm, I'm guessing that's not your intention but is that is that how people are perceiving it? I mean, even if it's accidental. Yeah, I mean, sure. With that, with that ex- uh, uh, emotion. Yeah. So um, could you understand yeah, I mean, that perspective if that's what the anger yeah, people can, have? That might be frustrating. Yeah, and I can see that. And I and I can you know I've I've been on the other side of that where I've been in, you know Chris beat me at Champions Cup. You know we were battling and you know that's how if you're at the top of your sport you're going to win some you're going to lose some and and yeah you know I may you know looking back at it maybe I. I did go a little overboard, but that was just, I think, so much built up that it's not, you know, that's not my reaction every time. It's just, you know, with everything that happened, the roll away, the, you know, Chris coming back and just the momentum shift. And so it all just built up. And I knew that shot was super important. And I think at the end of the day, once Chris threw out of bounds and uh, he knew his tournament was over. And so it, not, not at, until after I threw. So once he threw out of bounds and I threw inbounds, the tournament was over in Chris's mm-hmm. head. It, you know, it's, it's, it's done. So me celebrating, you know, you know, it's, it's no really at the end of the day, it's no different than, like I said, making that 30 footer because you're, nobody is getting, you know, up and down from where he threw. He literally was almost sure. essentially reteeing at that point because of the way the out of bounds was placed. And so, uh, once he threw out and I threw inbounds, the tournament was over. You just basically had to go through the motions yeah. and, and finish it out. Yeah, and so I think, I was gonna say it's really it's really interesting because we see that type of emotion on the green when someone hits a big putt for yeah. the win. You you've done right. it. I mean, Chris has done it. Uh, we see we, you know we've seen epic McBaths at USDGC. Those cheers. It it feels more natural when like the disc is done and you put it in. It was really yeah. different to see because you're right. That was your winning shot. Period. Like yeah. that's that is where the yeah. that's where the tournament quote unquote ended for almost everybody. And so th- yep. it, it sounds more natural when you say it like that, as opposed to, oh, this dude was celebrating on the 18th tee in front of his competitor. Yeah. So, but I, I agree with you. I love the natural reaction. I love the excitement. Um, I, again, I do understand what other people could take out of it. Yeah. I don't agree with it, but you know, 
That's it's, sure. Look, yeah. It's, now it's a feeling. And, and at the end and of the day, as fair, an athlete, prob- I'm never. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Terry. Uh, I was just gonna say again, another woulda, coulda, shoulda game. Chris puts it in bounds somewhere in bounds. You throw that exact same shot. You're in bounds. How do you feel like are you, are you that is still as pumped with that reaction? No, I mean, absolutely you know that not. That's I'm, what you need to continue. Yeah, right? yeah. The tournament's still go- like the tournament is still live. They're, like we still have to finish. Like sure. I would not even. It's not over at all. Like there's nothing. Like it would have been sure. totally different. I would just walk down the fairway. There's nothing done about the tournament. It's not over. I'm close to over. We're both in bounds. Mm. But you know, I'm laying you know two in the middle of the fairway. He's laying three, basically right off the tee pad, having to lay up again to yeah. then go for the basket. Yeah. So, yeah, it just played out this just the way it played out, you know, is why, you know, and as an athlete, you know, you know, a hole and how holes play out. You know, you know, so that's, you know, obviously we know better than anybody, you know, what we're trying to do, where we're trying to land and how, you know, how holes are playing out. And at the end of the day, it's like as an athlete, I'm never like if if it was flipped around and Chris did that, I'm never mad at him. I'm always mad at myself. Never. Like it doesn't matter who it is. If I mess up a shot and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, because I know people are like, oh, it's disrespectful to Chris. But it's like Chris, for in, in my opinion, I think Chris is probably just mad about his shot, not executing his shot. He's not going to ever be mad at me. Yeah. it's and like, If it's flipped around, I'm never going to be mad at the person that did execute the shot. It's just me. It's all boils down to me. I didn't do it or I did do it. Mm-hmm. And I executed it. And so that's was my emotion, you know. What if you were not, what if you were not last on the tee? What if you were not last on the tee? I mean, what if, what if Chris teed first through OB, you were second, you know, and, and you reacted that way and other people had to putt, I mean, or to tee. Think about it on the green. Even if you make that 40 footer and say you're, say everybody else is inside you. Yes, you react. You go get the disc out of the basket, celebrate. But other people still have to putt. See, other people's tournament are still on the line. I mean, think about even Dickerson having to play hole 18. He was still fighting to maybe take solo second place. And Ricky, by the way, I want to say, I don't have a problem with the emotion coming out. I just wonder how you feel if you reacted that way, if you were, say, second on the tee. Because the tournament's not just between you and Chris. For sure, yeah, no, and, and and you're totally right. It's it's something to where, yeah, I mean, uh, if if that if that was the case, you know, I feel like in the moment I would be respectful if someone had to mm. to still tee off or like you said, still putt. But you know, since I was the last one, I was kind of running down the fairway because we're gonna have to go down the fairway anyway, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of why I started running because I knew I was the last one down and started obviously like fist pumping and yelling. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, there's. To be there's fair, that's not much and, slower than you move down the fairway anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You're always, a, um, you're always out in the but, lead, there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, you know, I, you know, m- maybe I was a little over the top, and it's something to where you know it was just you know I guess I'm not used to being in that spot. Like you said, that it was such a you know unique way to finish uh, a tournament, you know, and the way it played out. Um, yeah, you're right. There, there's always other people playing, and you have to be respectful of of them. Um, but it's it's also, you know, for me, it's like, you know, you're always feeding off the crowd, and you know, the crowd, you know. So it's like, for me, I feel energy a lot, and I felt like, you know, the the crowd, you know, just really pumped me up and and wanted me to, I could, you know, I just felt the build up moment for that was 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 just when I wanted to erupt, really. 
You know, um, nobody nobody yeah. yells at James Conrad for running down the fairway after the holy shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, gosh. Right, right. Well, he had to get his yeah, disc out of the basket. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. He had 30 exactly. seconds. I mean, somebody was over there with a stopwatch on the side. Now, uh, again, right. Rick, we understand, and, and it's fair to say, you know, this, of course, everyone has their favorites, and and so if, if you're a f- bigger fan of another player, yeah. it's probably easier yeah. to criticize you. If you're 100%. when you're your biggest, you know, when your biggest fans are saying yes, you're fully emotional and you should be, um, you know, right. it, it's all part of the game. That's why we're playing. You're not only and, playing to win, but you. Those are the moments that you live for, and and I can understand oh, the, the the raw emotion. You know, now had and, you turned around to Chris and given him the double, you know, the double, yeah. you know, uh, that would yeah, have been a little different. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. I just really, I love that Ricky did have that emotion, but you also, you also realized it right away when you realize that you had run past Chris's disc, you made the immediate uh, correction, came to the side of the fairway, came back up. I mean, Ricky, I think you handled everything perfectly, and I yeah. think that you've. I think that you've explained it in a perfect, absolute perfect way. It's impossible for emotion to not come out in that moment. Would you have done things different? Maybe, maybe. But look, yeah. I think you did the perfect thing. We're watching it right here. So yeah. I think you did a great job. And, yeah, so, no, I appreciate it. What, what does it, it, it mean? If a player came up to me and said, hey, like, you know, and I really like if they expressed like, hey, Maddie O or Isaac and that really like affected them, uh, then I would obviously like, hey, like, all right, next time I won't do that. Like if it really affected yeah. them and, and the, you know, like you said, because they still have to play out their tournament and finish the best they can. So I want to respect that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not doing it to be detrimental to them. So if I was, I will definitely, you know, reflect on that and try to be better next time if i get in that myself in that yeah. situation and it's kind of funny because we all know yeah. chris doesn't care yeah. about third place chris doesn't yeah. care about fourth place no. second yeah. place yeah. nobody chris does. cares about the win which is yeah. why we saw him on his th- third shot like throw that crazy forehand that went out of bounds or whatever because he was running the yeah. basket and just got out of control mm-hmm. and, and yeah. you're right if you know if if somebody else were to do something like that it's different for every particular player um Let's real quick talk about Ricky the the playoffs. Um did the did the playoff scenario here the uh, the the DGBT playoffs does that matter to you particularly in this event? Does it does it mean anything cuz you're already up at the top. The points kind of I, I hate to say it like, you know, whose line is anyway, but the points don't matter, you know. We're here for you're here to win. Um, did, was that no, in your head at all? He's overtaken Macbeth because of this weekend. Yeah, so, correct. So yeah, uh, the same. The question still stands. Um, so go ahead. But yeah, you overtook Macbeth. You got 125 points. He got 80, and now you're in front of him. You know that's a 45 point difference, and you're ahead of him by 23 now. So go ahead and answer the question. You know with that. Yeah. Mind, so maybe. you know, yeah. You know, obviously, the thing is, our events. And that's kind of like I heard you guys talking about the world's thing. I think nowadays our every event is so big, and they're pretty much the best players in the world are at every event. Mm-hmm. And it used to be like like what Nate and you guys were talking about: all the best players from from Europe and all the best players from whatever country that want, they wanted to represent their country and go to the World Championships. Players do that now, but they do that at every event. They don't just do it at the Worlds. So. Every event is is essentially like a world championship was, you know, five five or ten years ago, and so the fact that every event is big 
and all the best players are basically at the event. It basically is like a world championship caliber event, caliber event every weekend. And so with that comes, you know, you wanting to, to win, obviously, as a top player, but you also want to have good finishes at events to play strategically and, and, and win points titles and set yourself up for the Pro Tour championship and finale. And so I think it's, you know, for me, it's there's a lot of pretty much every event is is really there's a lot that comes along with it because because you know how hard it is and you see the fields that are there and, and you see that there's so many people trying to trying to win and, and the the touring community is huge now and 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 so I think that at the you know what I'm trying to say is just every tournament is just so big and the best players are at every event and and so it's and you know and it's you know Nate used tennis I heard earlier. Um, tennis, you know, they, you know, they have a point system where they pick their basically four or five biggest majors, and then the world. Cha- I think it's, a, you know, I don't know what they classify it as, but tour they don't champion. actually have like a world tour championship. Yeah, yeah, they do a cu- accumulation of like points based on the four or five majors that they have, and then that, you know, whoever wins out of that basically is is the winner of the you know world cha- championship or something. Is that how it goes, Nate? Something like that. Yeah, I mean it 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 is and and what I was trying to differentiate is that there's the difference between being the champion of a tournament and being the tour champion and I think they're both very valid. I think and I totally agree with what you're saying. Disc golf is inside the ropes as far as the play on the course. We're playing a lot of the same courses that we were just 4 or 5 years ago, but the players are better. Yeah. But and and the depth of the field is incredible, but on the PGA Tour, it is also like a Masters every weekend. It is, and it's like a U.S. Open every weekend, but it's that event, and you become the champion of that event. So I'm trying to differentiate becoming the champion of the World Championship and being the Tour champion which I think is a different skill in its own right, which is consistency over... 20 events, right? And has sure. there been a lot of weird Masters champions? Absolutely. Has there been a lot of Masters champions that are the best in the world? Absolutely. But has over the Tour Championship, only the best players get to play in that Tour Championship, unlike the World Championship, which is 200 players deep and is the biggest and most difficult test that we have in our sport? How Like... How you've had time to reflect on your comments from last week. Yeah. I mean, are you still dead set in what you said that day? I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you know, it's for me. It's it's um that's really the point that I was trying to make that I maybe didn't get my point across the best was was that titles. Uh, the difference between like I guess winning like a world championship and winning like let's say Waco or something. You know, five five years ago, there's a huge difference there. It's like, you know, it's it's meant so much more to win a Worlds. And a Worlds, it obviously, it means more than anything to win. And that's, you know, amazing. And that's the best pinnacle of our sport. But th- what it feels like to win Waco versus Texas States nowadays is that there is probably just as strong of a field in Waco as there was at the World Championships. So the gap there, as far as how you respect a winner from Waco – uh, versus a world champion isn't that much different. Like if you win on the elite series, you know people respect you. You're a great player, no, and and people just 
uh, know that because they, they know and respect you differently because they know how hard it is to win on tour. Like you said with the PGA Tour, every every events you know has this these huge massive fields of the greatest golfers on the planet, and so I think that you know that is the biggest takeaway for me is just the titles nowadays are are, are so much more equal as opposed to you know you know back in the day I guess. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, I think I, I, part part of the events and the names that we put on the events is the pressure. USDGC, yes, Worlds, you know, the European Open, the Japan Open. These are the events. Just the names now bring the pressure, as opposed to what used to be the competition that brought the pressure, um, and the fact that we don't play nine rounds anymore, which was different in Worlds, and that that was another reason it was World Championships. You, it was a mar- it was the marathon golf. It was the it was the one that showed not only do I have the stamina, but I've got the consistency. I've got all these stats against all these players. We're in a different world now. It's a five round event, which really isn't that much different than a four round event. Um, you know, all the players now have have the have the strength and conditioning of a pro athlete for the most part we we now are looking at these events and 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 like i said it's the event itself that rotates and puts the pressure on um because you're right the fields you're getting the same top 20 players that you're again in every event every event you're probably you know give or take a week off for somebody you're getting the same 20 players and that are going to push you or whomever or maybe you know can i throw I want to throw out a for instance. Go for it, Nate. Just a for instance. (laughs) I think a three-time world champion gets to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I just just want to throw out a for instance, Ricky. So in a couple of weeks, you're going to be in Rock Hill. Now, you're going to play in the USDGC. This is a tournament you've never won before. And also, the Tour Championship is never a singular event that you've never won before. Now, you've been the points champion, of course, because of your consistency and great play. If if you go on to win the USDGC, are you going to be thinking, okay, this is just my step to next weekend? Or are you going to say, wow, this is one of the greatest achievements of my entire career, an event that has eluded me my entire career? Or are you going to be thinking, wow, this is pretty cool, but that next weekend, that tour championship, that's the one I want. I just, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think so. For me, it's you know I I reflect on a season based on how I played in each event. You know, obviously there's going to be events that feel bigger than others, but when you look back on a season, and and I use this for an example, if I won every tournament but didn't win the worlds, I'm I had a great season. I'm, I'm obviously I'm yeah. more than pumped. You know, and. Uh, and you can say that about if the person that won the world championship, they're pumped too because they won they won the tournament, you know. So there's so there's multiple different ways yeah. to have a great season and be you know put your name in the hat for being the best player in the world, you know. If you win every elite series, and someone else wins you know two or three majors, um, you know it's who you know because the majors do you know they they have more weight and they you know they have you know they have the the name and they have the the field strength. Um, but you also have to value the consistency of the biggest events that we have on our tour, the elite series also. And so I think that um, the value of, of certain tournament titles have gone up. I think, you know, the ledge stones, the, you know, the um, green mountain championships, the, you know, all in, you know, the Las Vegas challenge, those events. Um, 
So for me, I look back and I'll say, you know, I had a, you know, I had a great season overall, and I'm really happy with how I performed and how I played, and I felt like I, you know, I capitalized on a lot of opportunities that and chances I had to win. Um, for me, it's you know, obviously GMC and you know Texas States and a couple of the other events that I've won. Uh, I look back and say, yes, I'm really happy with how I closed out that tournament, gave myself a chance to win, and I won. And so that's, you know, I felt like I was the best player in the world in, in 2022. That's the way I look at a season. And that's kind of, I think, um, wh- where my comment with the world championships comes is that, you know, if I win the world championships, I am the pump that I won the worlds. But that's just one step for being the best player in the of the year. I just feel like for me as a player, I want to be the best player as a whole season long. I don't want to be a best player of that one tournament. And of course, sometimes that means winning the worlds is one step in the right direction uh, of becoming the best player of the year, and uh, and so that's kind of how I look at it. No, I uh, love I love uh, that clarification, and I just think that that's I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful to hear yes. your perspective on it. Um, I could throw out a lot of more for instances, but I I really appreciate so, you breaking that down. That so Ricky, well, yeah. real, as I'm looking or, at, I say Ricky, real quick question: How do we make the tour? In your opinion, the tour yeah. season, the championship. I don't want to just say the tour finale because that's just one event as well. But how do we how do we promote the tour as as a whole to be more prestigious? Because again, well, you've won what five, four, four, yeah. five events on the tour, and and you're clearly having what is arguably the best season of the year for all players. You've you've dominated, you know, for the most part, a lot of the these elite series or they're not. Elite Series events. How do we make this more prestigious? Is that a player thing where you need to celebrate it more? Is that a media thing where we need to pump it up more? How do we convince the fans that hey, this is you know for some people bigger than Worlds or as big or it's a big deal? How do we push that out to the world? Well, I think they are. The Pro Tour is you know with 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 Nate doing the commentary and the people watching. You know he can offer the you know the insight and just his knowledge on the course and the history of the event, all that stuff helps so much to paint the picture for the viewer. And then, and then they're like, Oh, this tournament's been around and uh, for this long. And it's just kind of builds that history. And then the more you see that event also builds the, builds the brand of the event. So yeah, I mean, next, next year I may not win the GMC, but I helped to grow the brand of the GMC. You know, I helped use my platform and my brand to grow the pro tours brand. So that's why I feel like, you know, I'm, and I'm beyond thankful that I can, have a brand and have a following that helps grow the sport as a whole too. It's obviously helping me, but it's also helping the sport pave the way for, for the person next year that like, Oh yeah, the GMC, I remember Chris and Ricky got in a battle and then maybe it's next year, Gannon and Anthony Barella and they got in a battle. And so it just each year builds off of each other. And I think there's a, there's a, the pro tour is doing a great job on, on building, building that part because we're, we're having consistent tour stops, great venues, and, and and tour stops that people want to watch, and I think that's super important. So I think they're doing it just naturally on its own. I think that's you know obviously a, a great way to do it, and uh, and so I think that you know I haven't spent too much thought on it, but that's my first thought on it. Uh, let let me follow up and say right now, you have four, and it's funny how this giving can come into play, but you have four player of the years that have been awarded to you through the PDGA. Which has a in is, in essence and you know similar but yet different set of criteria to arrive at that that at one point 
was very much more subjective, where people were voting on it more so. But anyway, you have four of those. Right now, you have four Elite Series events this year that are already you know in your back pocket, including this last weekend. Does does something like PDGA Player of the Year? Are you thinking about that, or is it, or is it exclusively Disc Golf Pro Tour Champion? I mean, where do you put Player of the Year, and and by whose award? Because I guarantee you, next week some other website and some other rankings is going to come up, and they're going to also make you player of the, you know, player of people that are six feet tall and and their last name in a Y, I, whatever. DG rankings, like, rankings. Saying, we always. Right. Yeah, everybody's got a new rankings is my is really my facetious yeah. point there. But uh, the short question is, how much do you care about PDGA Player of the Year? Uh, I think so. I think you know definitely you know it definitely means something. It's it's an award that you can look back on and say, hey, I was the Player of the Year in 2022, and I'm sure Nate thinks the same thing, and he's probably got you know multiple of those as well. You you can look back and you and within that year you're like, oh yeah, this year I won. You know, Ricky won GMC, and, and it kind of sets a precedence in history in the sport. Like, you're the best player of the year in, in 2022. And so, yeah, I want to win the points title. I want to win all these titles. And I know that each event that I win is a stepping stone in that direction to winning that stuff. And so that's why it means so much to me to, to, do, to do that. Because for me, that's really, um, as an athlete, you know, everyone's different. Some people are, you know, Hey, I can just show up and win, you know, one or two tournaments and I've had a successful season. And, you know, you know, if you just pick, you know, and obviously I'm I'm trying to win, you know, USDGC and the Worlds. Those are the those are the events in our in our sport right now, the European Open and the Champions Cup. Those so the fact that we have those events that, you know, allow us players to feel like that extra added pressure because that title means more and and it and it means more for points. It means maybe because the majors are weighted more and point total for, you know, the standings and all the other stuff that come along with that. Um, so, so yeah, the, you know, the, the points is, is cool. I, and I, I, I'm sure there's a payout now where there maybe never used to be in the past, you know, obviously bonus money and just the, you know, the, the fact that you've, you know, you're consistent. And, and nowadays that means a lot because there's so many players now that are playing at a high level that if you can, you know, you know, have salvage a top five finish, even when your game's maybe not at its best, that means something, you know, as a player. And, and so there's always something, something to play for. And, and, and so I guess to answer your question, you know, the, the tour finale is, is also a great format. I love it. I'm, I've, I've, you know, in the past just not played very great, very good. Uh, but I, I think it's great that players like Nathan Queen, Kevin Jones, all these players, They've they've made history and they've they've won the tour championship. So it's it's the last event we have. So that's kind of the last impression you can make on the disc golf world before you go into the next season. So that adds that little bit extra pressure also, and and it kind of feels like a major is is the the pro tour finale. It kind of does. It feels like I guess the DGPT's version of a major, and uh, and so I think that you know we're we're go we're stepping a lot you know in the right direction in a lot of ways and. Um, and I think it's – I think my biggest comment is that people – I don't think the general public realize that um, the – how close like just regular events, how close the fields are between a D-Glow, a Ledgestone, the, how close the fields are to the worlds. And that's really my point is that I think the general public perceive that like, hey, you know, the world championships, yeah, it means the most. But the other events still are like – right 
there with it as far as super the field strength. Yeah, super competitive. So I think that that is the biggest um, miscommunication that I was that I'm trying to get across to the to the fans is that every event is is tough, no matter which way you you look at it. You know, and so yeah, and that yeah that that's basically what I'm trying to say. Okay, I like it. Um, what what does it mean to you when we look at like the PDJ stats right now? You're a few dollars short of of sixty seven thousand. I think I saw whether it was seventy seven or eighty seven thousand. Your previous you know career high. What what do earnings money mean? What does it mean now? Because you're clearly guaranteed a large contract. That's obviously been pretty public. A, a helicopter told me so. But um, you're guaranteed this this significant contract. But what does it mean when we're talking about a a seventy you know thousand dollar year or an eighty or a hundred thousand dollar year? Kind of put that in perspective for everybody. I mean, there's yeah, a lot of money so, to still be won in the next like yeah. month. I mean, there's a lot of money on the line. Yeah. No. Definitely. I mean, so it, it's not like, you know, that stuff's kind of like a result of, you know, of winning the tournament. It's not like I'm, oh, I'm playing, I have the chance to win $20,000 this week. You know, I don't, I, to be honest, I really don't even look at the payout until after the event because it's not going to change. Like, oh, this tournament's only worth 10000 I, I was hoping it was going to be, you know, 15000 if I won. Like, you know, of course, yeah, I want it to be as, as good as possible, but each event, I'm, you know, it's, you have the, you know, each course is different. There's so many different variables and so many things to focus on for that week that, you know, I'm not really focused on the payout. Um, and, and for me, yeah, it's, and, and I know that I'm going to get paid if I, if I play to the best of my ability and, and, and everything is fully optimized, my play, my mental game, my health, and everything is optimized that week. I'm going to have give myself a chance to win. And that's week in and week out what I need to do to be my, to be my best, to be the best player in the world. And so, all that stuff is a res- is just a result. It's not like I'm focusing too much on it. Um, I'm just playing week in and week out. You know, sometimes my game feels you know, and that's just how you know sports are. You can you know your putt feels great one week, and maybe it's just a little bit off the next week, or your drive feels great. So you're always fighting these little battles with yourself, and um, and so that's why sometimes it clicks, sometimes it doesn't. So you're just trying to find a way to just feel your make your game feel great. Uh, consistently and that's you know your game's oh and that's the hardest part because your game's always evolving always changing new courses all these different set of variables coming at you and uh, and so I think that that's why for me being consistent you know and trying to be consistent at the top means so much to me as a whole in a season as opposed to you know maybe just one event and um, and so yeah you know that's you know that's my thought on that Okay. What do you say to like an event, you know, especially to like your fans, like Des Moines? I mean, that was so surprising to us. I mean, just to me, you know, being your friend and longtime supporter, like what 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 was that week for you in Des Moines? Yeah, so Des Moines was a tough week. I mean, it's it, it was uh it was just one of those weeks where, you know, my I felt like I was doing everything I normally do. My putt just felt that little bit off, you know. It's it, my putting wasn't good. My, you know, my mental game really was. It was that was the biggest thing. I kind of felt like I was looking for looking ahead to Worlds before I was even done with this the, the Des Moines Challenge, huh. and um, and but at the end of the day, you know, it's a huge event. Like it was a really big event, and it was awesome to see Simon and and Robert, you know, at, you know, go at it head to head. That was 
so cool um, to to see that and and you know and I respect winners you know because I know what it takes to win. You obviously have that certain have that respect for them because you know how hard it is. And so it was awesome to see Robert and Simon battle like they did, you know, head to head. You know, that's what we live for as you know athletes. You know, we 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 want to give ourselves that give ourselves that chance to win and to see them, you know, making those long putts and pushing it to the next hole. It was, uh, you know, I basically just turned into a spectator because I just, I didn't have what it takes that week. Uh, and, you know, my tournament was over and it was just, it was like, a, yeah, it was just, it was mostly mental for me. I was just kind of looking forward to Worlds, you know, prematurely and forgot about the task at hand and, you know, missed the cut. And, you know, this yeah. day and age, if, 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 if that happens, you know, it's it, it can happen because there's so many players that are playing good that the cut lines are, 10 12 under sometimes by the time the weekend's over which is i think that's awesome because you have storylines in itself like hey me or paul or eagle they're battling to make the cut you know and, and so that you know that stuff can happen you know even in golf it's kind of like turning into golf you know in tiger woods when there's years that where he's the best player in the world there's years where he also missed the cut because that's how yeah. that's how the game is is that there's so many people that are playing at a high level that that makes the cut line just rise up and that's what's happening in disc golf. Yeah, it's just it's been so rare, obviously, because someone like you, who has you know been such a dominant force, it it becomes newsworthy. Unfortunately, uh, for you, it becomes newsworthy. You know, again, Paul at DDO yourself, uh, and then real quick, I guess I'll I'll take a quick tangent. You're you're, you're good friends with Katrina. You're good friends with Paige. Um, do, do you make anything of of you know the 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 miscut there by Cat and the near missed cut i mean w- without being disrespectful to Paige, she might as it was almost just the same as if she had missed the cut she, she was on the cut she, line. she literally made the last yeah. putt she she gets in she then doesn't have you know a page like performance on the final day and shoot up 20 you know or 10 spots like you know she's capable of she just barely hovered around so whether she made the cut or not it almost feels negligible i guess my question to you is when you see someone like you know Cat and Page on the FPO side, very different world, but dominant players, the most dominant in the game for the last ten years. Um, you know, just a quick take on that, since you know them both so well. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and it's it's kind of it's very similar in FPO now. There's lots of new talent and players, you know, taking their games to the next level because there's kind of a shift in sports. Every, you know, there's, you know, if, if as a top player, you know, the, the, the next generation of players, you know, the Tom Brady's and, and the, you know, Aaron Rodgers, that's kind of like in a generation. And then you got the new generation of like the Mahomes and the Justin Herberts, and they're kind of cycling into their prime. And so there's always that next shift of athletes. And as a top player, you have to keep up with the shift as, you know, whether in disc golf, maybe it's throwing 550 in, you know, 550 foot backhands and 450 foot sidearms making every all your 30 footers like just you know each sport has their own you know set of whatever what it takes to become a top player or to be a top player so there's different shifts and there's you know shifts happening in in mpo shifts happening in happening in fpo because the sports get bigger more people are getting involved so that's causing the shifts and it's shifting some people out and new people in and um you know, obviously players like me and Paul and Eagle, we've, you know, kept up with that shift and there's going to continuously be a shift. And eventually, you know, obviously I'm going to take care of myself and try to play as long as I can, but eventually I'm going to get shifted out of the sport and there's going to be a new generation coming in. Um, 
But for for as far as Paige and Cat, I think you know they're you know they they'll be fine. I think that you know it's it's something to where it's it's it sounds worse than it is, but it's at the end of the day because the field's gotten better and they may have played to that level couple years ago and made the cut and, and, and maybe got 10th place or whatever but now they play to that same level and they don't even make the cut or they barely make the cut now it's like way different because those players that don't normally beat them have now have now elevated their game so you know Paige she plays to her to her uh floor and and someone else plays just you know a little bit better than her then you know they end up beating her by a stroke or two and pushing her off the cut line. And so that's something, like you said, I, I like the variable and the, and the element of, of a cut line now because it, it adds more drama, for one, and it adds more storylines, and, and it also adds something for the players to shoot for. If you're not shooting well, you have to really pay attention and, and grind. Even if you're not grinding to win, you got to grind to make the cut to get points. or, or you know. And so it just kind of gives you that psychological, mental battle with yourself to like, hey, i got to make this birdie on the next two holes to to make the cut line so i think that's a cool element that we got going in our sport and i would like to see more of that going and i think that you know as a player i think players would also be all in for it because you feel accomplished when you make the cut and you feel like all right cool like i made it i deserve you know to play the next day it's not just like you know people someone in 150th place is playing even though they got nothing to play for you know so I was gonna say, speaking of cuts, yeah i yeah are you going there 70 72 ish People playing this weekend in MPO, one of the smaller fields, which also means because it's the playoffs, because it's you know rankings and and everything, not else, small enough. It's going to be one of the most one of the most competitive <laughs> fields we've ever seen. I mean, we always talk about how tough it is to cash and do well at Beaver State Fling because they you know have a, a limited amount and the ratings and so on. But seventy uh, some people, seventy six MPOs, and they're going to cut forty what? down to 40%, which is 28-ish, 20-some, 30-some, whatever. There, like, there's some throats on the line this weekend. I mean, oh, three rounds at sure. Maple Hill. Talk about, like, what that means. You, you could go from winning to possibly just being outside of the cut this weekend if if you're not on, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. And, and, and that's – I love that. I think that, you know – you know whether you know I get cut or not. And obviously, I'm going to be playing my best and 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 doing whatever I can to to give myself another chance to win. Um, I love it. I think it's I think it's it's great. It's a unique format. Um, it, and I know a lot of last week there were some good players that missed the cut. And I think that um, yeah. yeah, it's it's it really is crazy the shift that's going on with the amount of players that are playing at a high level. Um, and yeah, that's crazy that 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 um, yeah three rounds at Maple Hill and then you know thirty. 30 players or whatever 30 or 40 players are, are moving on to the final round but um yeah it just it i think that when you do stuff like that it just makes you feel you know accomplished and there's always you know obviously a storyline for who's winning the tournament but then you know from a dgn standpoint hey you know if me or paul or some of the big names are like you know in 40th place and we're you know having a putt on the last hole to make the cut to then you know that's a big storyline because you know if, if we make the cut you know, we have the firepower to shoot back up the leaderboard and, and maybe gain a bunch of points to save our spot in the Pro Tour finale. And so that actually affects, you know, the next tournament if we if someone makes the semifinals. So that actually, that storyline is big because it affects future tournaments as well, like it does in when we go to Charlotte. If that person misses the cut versus if they make the cut and then now they go up another 10 or 20 spots and gain a bunch more points 
like it adds that much more drama and it means that much more um, in the event and in the overall uh, pro tour finale point system. So I love it. I think it's going to be exciting for for the players, but I also think it's going to be an exciting element for the viewers understanding how important points and stuff are for the finale. Okay, Ricky, I have a question yeah, for you then. We're yeah. Take it, 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 th- th- this is uh, put your put your prognosticator hat on. How many strokes between first place and the cut line at MVP? That's a great question. So I know. Let's see here. So it's only three rounds, right? Yeah, he should, three do, rounds. You should do this for a living. You're so smart, John. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> three rounds. Yeah, three um, rounds. So three rounds after three rounds, the leader will be at um, 25 under probably. That's my guess. So I think after and – then the, and then the cut line will be – to Maple Hill's t- hardcore. So I think the cut line will probably be like seven or eight under I think is what it will be. Okay, so so basically about twelve to thirteen yeah. strokes. As I say, yeah, just just over ten. Yep, uh, Rick. Yeah, so way, I think seven. The, the I think way, seven or eight under for the cut line, twenty five under for the leader, and then we'll, uh, Ooh, we'll maybe maybe do a tweet or something, and we'll uh, we'll see how far I am off. What's your guess? I I was gonna well, say we'll ten have to under. Look into Nate so Sexton's that, crystal ball. Yeah, we yeah, we need Nate ah. Sexton's crystal ball. But I was I was gonna go right about ten under. I think ten under will probably be the cut. If you're below ten. You're probably not making the cut. If you're above 10 or better than 10, you're going to make the cut. That's my guess. I think, see, I think, I think it's going to be lower than you think, though, because Maple Hill really t- is, is a hard course. It's, yeah. it's tough. I mean, you, you might guys have are getting so damn shoot. good. You guys are getting so good. I know, yeah. <laughs> you are. We are. But, but I think Maple Hill is a lot harder than, like, it's a lot harder than Brewster. There's much more danger and much more punishment for bad shots. And, um, and Maple Hill is hard to – it's hard to, you know, it's hard to go 10, 12 under for multiple rounds. You may do it one round, shoot 10 under, and then follow it up with like a five or a six. It's it's hard to really shred and, sh- you know, like the leaders don't normally get to 40 under at Maple Hill through four rounds. You know, you, you know if you get to, you know, low 30s, high 20s, that's great. Yeah. Most of the Rick, time. So the way, the way that you played the... GMC from my perspective was you you really took it to that course. I mean, you you played overstable plastic, you really were aggressive and you were willing to go out of bounds because you were going to play that really aggressive shot. In your estimation, once you come to Maple Hill, do you play it still that aggressive sort of overstable line or do you play with a little more finesse at this course? Is there more late turns? How how do you how do you make that quick adjustment coming from down from Vermont? Yeah, I know definitely. I mean, I think that you know, out out at, in Maple Hill, you know, a Fox Run, it's like you said, you can play the overstable this, and you know, if you go out of bounds, you don't, you know, you still have a par putt, and and you can save a lot of pars, like which I was what I was doing in the in the final round. But Maple Hill, you're actually, if you're missing shots, you're almost worse than out of bounds because you're kicking into spots where. I mean, you're you're pars at best, you know, potentially very likely a bogey. Yeah. So, so sometimes you're worse off being in, in in Maple Hill if you get into some certain spots. You're worse worse off being safe in in a worse spot as opposed to being out of bounds and you get to take your drop and, and potentially just get an easy up and down for a par. You know, so so Maple Hill can be more really punishing. So yeah, we're throwing. I'm throwing slower discs, you know, mid ranges off the tees on some of the holes if I can, um, but. 
you know, we're not making, I'm not making too many adjustments because, you know, you still have to attack the course and, and throw the speed of disc to get to reach the shots. Even, you know, if it's a 450 foot shot and you want to throw a mid range, but you're not necessarily going to get a putt at it, you still have to take that risk. So there's times where I'm definitely going to still take risk and we're, you know, know deep down that I'm going to be relying on my scramble game if and when I do get a kick eventually it's going to happen out there it's not it's not if it's when and and just be, yeah. being ready for that I think that's the important part and that's something I'm working on a lot is perspective is uh it's it's a lot easier to to um to walk up to a 25 30 foot birdie putt and be all pumped and try and make that but you walk up to that 25 30 foot par putt after hitting early and bouncing into the into the crap you're like all you're kind of pissed off like oh I'm putt for par but like on courses like that, it's all about perspective and treating that that putt the same as you would a, a, a birdie putt. And so that's something I did really well last week at, at GMC. Is those par putts are just as important to keep your keeping your round going as a twenty five foot birdie putt. And so that mindset is going to be what I want to carry over and hopefully um, apply to Maple Hill. Yeah, that was super apparent because. Honestly, I really felt like the par putts you made, I mean, even that first round when you made that like 70 or 80 foot par putt on like seven, I think it was, yeah, and that really uh-huh. jump started you. So I think what you're saying that you're actually doing, I think that perspective is really, really critical. For sure. And, then, and like, you uh, know, as a player, it's, you know, if you, you make it par putts in scrambling and saving pars. Is is a momentum saver. It saves your round. It keeps your round going. Keeps your round going. Obviously, with on the scorecard, but also mentally, because you didn't lose any strokes. You didn't give strokes away. So that just kind of, it just allows you to play a lot more. Not with the mental roller coaster. Oh, bogey. Oh, no. but if you just get birdie, par, no par, birdie, birdie. It the mental side is so much more flatlined, and it's so much more sustainable to shooting consistently. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's just super important is to be under control mentally. And I think that that's something I'm, you know, we're always working as, as people, as athletes. And I think that's something just trying to implement strategies to, to optimize that. Uh, holy cow. We're going to cheers to this, uh, Rick. Uh, you, you can't, we will, we'll do the work for you. You're, 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 uh, you're doing work. I just rec I, so I wanted to go look at, it. I was going to quiz you with how many times you've won at Maple Hill. But in my incredible research department, uh, aided here by my beverage, you you just won the largest paycheck. You tied for the largest paycheck ever for yourself with PDGA uh, earnings this last weekend. Did you know that? No, I did not. That's crazy. It was what was it? Twelve thousand, right? Yeah, yeah I know. so you won Do you even sign the, the checks? World. No, you don't. You don't get checks anymore. They just go to your PayPal. So, uh, no, they go right to uh, PayPal. Uh, let, uh, and Ari's like, no, damn it, Terry. I told him you only won nine. No, no, you right. won twelve. You won twelve thousand dollars, which honestly I hadn't looked at before this. Twelve yeah, grand, tying your largest payout ever, which was your twenty seventeen World Championships, your second Worlds, which was also twelve grand. So that is your largest check of your career. I will drink to that. Congrats. Thank you. That's what amazing. That, that? I mean, the, I, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying is that the payouts are obviously getting amazing. And I think that's, you know, that's because, you know, it's, it's awesome because I know, you know, players know how hard it is to win. And so you really get rewarded. And it's, and it's, it's life-changing. I mean, it's it cha- gives you – 
you know, obviously brand presence. It gives you, you know, you, you, you build followers and fans and people feel like they're a part of something when you win and obviously representing sponsors. Well, all that stuff. So when people win, it's, you know, at this day and age in our sport, if you win a tournament, it changes your life. You know, it can, you know, Isaac winning Idlewild, you know, that's awesome. I love to see that. Cause you know, he's, he's a great player dedicating his life. Maybe to you disc should golf. let them win more then. It's, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, such right. A hog. Well, you're such a well, jerk. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't, I can't help that. I'm a little selfish. Can't help that. I can't help that. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, you know, if I'm looking back, you know, even during Idlewild, you know, if, if, when I turn into a spectator and I'm watching, it's like you're kind of always rooting for the person that, like, you know, is trying to trying to build their name up and get that next big contract and big paycheck like you said from the tournament it could change your life it allows them to to be more comfortable and buy a van or buy an art whatever it is to make themselves feel more comfortable and so that part's really cool as a spectator to realize that hey if isaac pulls off this win his life is going to be changed for the better and his, his career is really going to be kick-started and so you kind of it allows people to really root for them a little more and i think that's for you know for me once i turned into a spectator at worlds you know another reason why i was rooting for aaron is because yeah, it, it changes his life. He gets a, a great deal with this graph. He's a world champion. He gets all these new discs, all this accolades, all this, you know, and so all that stuff that comes along with the win. And so it makes the fans want to, you know, want to root for that person even more. Um, and so I think that, that that's just a sign of the growth of the sport. And it's it's awesome to see that. Well, uh, here we are, you know, just a, a few weeks left in the season as we start to wrap up here tonight, but a few weeks left in the season, big, big weeks, of course, you know, MVP this weekend, a couple weeks later, USDGC, a couple days after that, we start things off, uh, you know, where you're holding down currently the number one spot uh, for the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championships. Um, uh, how, do, how do you gear up? Just to know you have these three out of the next four weeks or so, you know, are are the largest paychecks and the biggest opportunities. How do you kind of mentally gear yourself up uh, to, to stick it through these next few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think, that, you know, knowing that the season's almost over allows you to kind of exert yourself a little bit more because you know that mentally you got to give it all you got physically if you have any injuries, you just kind of got to forget about it and obviously, you know, and just kind of fight through it because, you know, you can rest your your mind and, and you can go on vacation or whatever after these after the season's over. So it allows you to kind of let loose and just really go all out with these events. And I think that that's something to where I like that. I think that, you know, you know, having an off season is important to kind of reset your mind, reset physically. Um, and so knowing the off season coming is, you know, that's actually for me, I use it as like. Okay, cool. It's motivation. I want to, I want to go into the off season with like, oh, okay, cool. I had, I played great at USDGC. I did this and I did that. I want to look back on my season and be, you know, be, a, be proud of how I performed and how I played, you know, finishing the season. So I think that's motivation for me, is um, just knowing that I gave it my all mentally and physically um, going into the off season, and that's kind of where we're at in this season. Okay, uh, off season right now looks like. Uh, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but off season, do you see that back in Arizona? And do you see doing anything really after the tour championships is done? I mean, is that is that now the new, end. you know, cut off the new end, so to speak, for you? 
Yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, it was always USDGC for the longest time. It was the USDGC, then the yep. tournament or the season was over. <laughs> but now they got the finals, the Pro Tour finals. And then I'm actually going to do the skins match. They have the $100,000 skins match at uh, Eagles Ooh. Crossing. In Missouri. Um, so yeah. that's yeah, okay. so that is one event that I will be playing, uh, which normally okay. I wouldn't. Um, but obviously it's a big event. I want to be a part of it. So I'm going to play that the weekend after the Pro Tour Finals, and then and then my season's done. And I'm going to Jacksonville, Florida is where I'm going to be going to train and practice and enjoy some good weather. Okay. So you, are you going to move in with Paul? Is that yeah, I was going to say, it feels like a weird <laughs> I know, right? uh, of, of all cities, <laughs> of all cities right? and places, a lot of championships in that town. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I know. We, yeah, so I'm looking at houses and, and stuff, and yeah, I'm going to be uh, hanging out with Ron Russell, too. Okay. He lives yeah, there actually. Right. He texted me. He's right. like, "Oh, yeah, that's right." Yep. Yeah. He wants so to. He wants to put an aquarium in your house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Or a sick pool like he's yeah. got. I mean, but the real <laughs> yeah, the real exactly. question is, and I need to know, where's Ari going to spend her off season? I mean, well, she'll she'll she, always she's be, what matters uh, the most. Kinda, yeah. Exactly. Of course. She's uh. Yeah, she'll be in Florida. Obviously, she'll be kind of back. She lives in Redding, California, so she'll be in Redding some of the time, and then Florida some of the times. I'm looking at buying a house. So, and there's no state income tax in Florida, so that helps. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I got buddy. that going, <laughs> and and so she'll so she'll kind of be going back and forth between the two states. Okay. All right, Rick. Well, uh, we're going to start to uh, let you go here. Uh, is, okay. is there anything else you want to? Sh- is there anything else you want to share with us that uh, you know any stone we left unturned or any other conversation? I mean, obviously we have you on often. Uh, you know, you win often, so it makes sense. But uh, is is there anything we've left out? No, I ju- I appreciate you guys asking great questions and and doing the research and and yeah, just doing everything you guys do for the show and and the fans. I I appreciate you allowing me to give my insight and you guys setting me up with good questions. I appreciate that. Well, Rick, there you're. Uh, I think tonight officially puts you into the record books for the guest that has most often joined us from a bed. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So I, I, <laughs> oh, you have, oh, I think this has to be at least just... eight or nine. Ricky has the <laughs> best. Has to be... like, I, I'm not kidding. Like Ricky has the best relaxed shots off. Like you, you catch yeah. him. The, the infamous Utah strength, shot where, arm where, strength is... where he's just like laying in the grass. And we catch that shot of you occasionally at other events when it's nice out, just when there's a backup, you just tend to lay down. You, we get it on the podcast. Ricky's, Ricky's that com- yeah. Ricky's comfy. I love it. Oh yeah, yeah you there, gotta take advantage. No one of the has comfy, been you know? in more beds on our show than Ricky Waisaki, and uh, we wouldn't have oh. it any other way. Rick, as always, uh, go ahead, Nate. If you got well, something, I gotta get sappy for just a moment because I don't get to see Ricky as much as I'd like to. Um, I just I've known Ricky since he was just a little youngster. And it was there the day that uh, he took his very first cash at the Brent Hamrick Memorial. Yep. And, Ricky, what I'll say to you is uh, you've become a great champion, as we always expected. But in my opinion, you've become an even better man. I love how you've really developed yourself and talking about all of these things, not just being a great player, but also being a great mental aspect, taking care of your body. I'm so proud of you, uh, Rick, and uh, I'm proud to be your friend. And I look forward to watching you play as many uh, times as I can on this side of the booth, because remember, generationally, you kicked my butt out 
And uh, that's why I'm over here. So <laughs> good luck with everything, dude. I'm really happy no. for you, Rick. I'm super proud of you. Buddy. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, always great to hear your expertise, and we're thankful to have you uh, explaining what's going through our heads as players because you do a great job of that, and I'm thankful. Oh, thanks, Rick. I appreciate that. All yes. right. Now, Rick, uh, as always, give us your, your final uh, praise, accolades, shout-outs, how people can find you, support you, where they should be shopping, all that kind of stuff. Let's hear it all. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, SakiBomb13. That's my Instagram. Pretty uh, pretty uh, mm-hmm. post a lot on there. And, uh, yeah, just want to thank you guys and I'm, you know for everything you guys do, Smashbox. And I love uh, coming on here, chatting disc golf with you guys and uh, sharing my time. So thank you for everything. All right. Well, you can also go out to dynamicdisc.com, SakiBomb.com. Those there are you go, too. You can buy some stuff from, uh, from Rick and support him. And I know he's got a number of uh, signature discs and uh, tour fundraiser type discs. And it's always easy to uh, just pick something up from him in person. Him and Ari working the shop when they're out on the road. Those are all good ways to support uh, Rick there. Right, Woo! Rick? Yep. Thanks for talking Woo! for me, Terry. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, you're welcome, Rick. I, you <laughs> Sounds better coming from you. I've already proved, I Terry. I'm always <laughs> yeah. here to help, you, to help you out wherever I can, my friend. All right, Rick. Well, you enjoy uh, you enjoy night time, and uh, I'm gonna go have on a good night. I'm going to go on my bed. <laughs> yes, you are. Take it to him, Rick. Uh, Kick some butt. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing and hearing from Thank you this you. weekend. Best of luck. Congratulations on another GMC win. Uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight, and uh, we'll be seeing you this weekend, I'm sure of it. Take care, pal. Later, Thanks bro. a lot, guys. Talk to you soon. See you, Rick. See you. <laughs> I'm not joking when I say no one has joined us yeah. bedside more than Waisaki throughout the years, and I'm, I'm here I'm for it. I'm impressed with his it. arm holding like, it, phone holding. You skills. need to prop that. Like he did shift a little bit as the as the interview went a little. Later. You need to be able to prop that. But yes, that's all the insight uh, from Waisaki. Uh, thank you, as always. You know, I say it all the time, but so many players like himself uh, more than welcome to join us anytime. And and when he wins as often as he does, you can't have him on after every single one. I mean, think. We'd be sick of Kristen Tatar by now, for crying out loud. I, I mean, mean if, she, she'd just be a permanent guest. Yeah, exactly. She should be the host. She should take over Johnny's job. <laughs> Nobody could replace Johnny. <laughs> All right, maybe, yeah, she could. The one question I really wanted to ask Rick, and we were just kind of running out of time, is I wonder to him how important it is to beat Paul in the points. Mm. You know, like, oh. I, I, I would probably, in an interview, I would probably deflect like if if yeah. I was in Ricky's and not position, make it personal, I, that's kind of why I didn't even ask it because I don't really care. But just for us to speculate, oh, we go wild here though, Nate. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, what we do. For me, for me, like if if at the end of the season I was able to beat Avery Jenkins or Felberg or Nico or whomever, you know, all the best players that were in in kind of my era, that was a huge thing for me because it was like a little jab. Yeah, and it wasn't even. I would never say it to him, but no. in my mind, it was. Resi- so I wonder how important speak it is for to themselves. him. I wonder how important that is to him. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to be fighting over uh, you know who's coming to do lawn care at their place and their places in Jacksonville wow, or what? Jacksonville of all places. How funny that like you have all of Florida, and we've seen Florida be yep. like this this sanctuary of disc golfers now you know you've got like the oakleys and page up in the panhandle and now we've heard that you yeah. know uh mcbeth and ricky are going to be in jacksonville i 
you know, Kelvin will probably go back to Tampa area as my guess over who knows, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but just, it's really funny that of all the places, you know, we have this heated rivalry. We're just hoping to run into the for, course for the last uh, you know, maybe decade. <laughs> I, I can't wait for the first social media post that has a like, oh, I'm waiting in. I, I got to wait at the course again because these two guys are just, you know, on, waiting on hole one. And you've got like Paul and Ricky at league or something dumb. Like just Could you imagine <laughs> random flip doubles and they flip <laughs> on the same team? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like Paul, Paul and Rick are, please don't, please don't Paul, please don't Rick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be epic. If only. That yeah. That would be epic. That would be, uh, that would be pretty funny. So, all right. Well, uh, of course, as always, thank you to Ricky Wysocki and uh, thank you to Ari for helping, uh, you know, uh, being so easy so for me. So the to- Woo Sox, they're in, are they in Worcester? Yeah. It uh, must be. Uh, let, that that's makes a, no sense if Woo they were. Woo Sox. Uh, let, let's find out exactly. Yeah, I imagine w- Boston w- area. Uh, Worcester. Yeah, in Worcester. Worcester. In Worcester. Worcester Woo Sox. The Worcester, Worcester Woo Sox. Sox. Uh, you know, at uh, Polar Bear Stadium. So, Worcester Woo Sox. I know Ella threw out the first pitch, Makes but sense. really, really, shouldn't it have been awesome. Ari? Like just I know, woo. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, man, that's pretty good. <sighs> mm. All right, speaking of pretty good, uh, Doss, people are dying to know what uh, what what beverages here are we uh, are we sipping on because um, not often do I have this opportunity. So um, for those that don't know, when I when I do actually partake in any kind of beverages, I am a bourbon barrel aged uh, scotchy ale kind of guy. And uh, we all so, know founders. Uh, I'm going to let Nate answer, me. then I have a question for him. Uh, but uh, so we we each started with a Backwoods Bastard. Uh, there's not enough of those. Otherwise, we'd have more. But uh, break down what else we have here. Yeah. So Terry Ooh, Miller is a little left. Yeah. Ooh. Terry Miller. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know where that's going. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, Terry's explaining that he likes bourbon barrel aged scotch ales. But really, it's imperial stouts, and he actually likes mm. sweet stouts that are bourbon barrel aged. So your, mm. you know, breakfast stouts with maple syrup and things of that nature. Um, so if you do see him out there, that would be what he's going for. But uh, this one here is from Epic Brewing. I believe Epic is yeah out of Salt Lake City. This is their imperial stout with coffee and cacao nibs, uh, aged in whiskey barrels. So Ooh. Terry likes the whiskey barrel aspect. I think that has to do with the higher alcohol content, uh, as well as that additional kind of whiskey sweetness that he's going to get out of there. So if you see Terry out on the road, um, that's the gift. The, the that's pro- the gift. To be fair, to be fair, we, we won't beer nerd out too much here in the regular show, but to be fair... I've I've finally settled on uh, beverages that I really enjoy. The problem is, it's the equivalent of saying, "Yeah, but I only really like like you know those those '90s flat flat uh, you know DX Cobras." You know what I mean? Like, it, it's a very niche community and 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 genre of beer that's not easily accessible or widely found. Is that? I mean, you still drink bigger? Bud Ice. Oh, doobie, yeah. doobie doo. Oh, Terry's got a lot of those drinks <laughs> in him. There's no question about it. Um, it's getting bigger, and I would say even like Bevel. I mean, we do a barrel-aged stout, but it's only once a year. Mm. I mean, you have to get to a certain size to where you're going to basically do it every year. But um, I would say it's more like you are pretty much just 
wanting to order Don Perignon everywhere you go because <laughs> most of the time the stouts are the most expensive. Oh well, at, Terry, uh, you and your yeah. So Terry, you're really <laughs> fancy. Uh, I've been called fancy once or twice <laughs> in my life. So anyway, all right, we'll talk I, I, again, more about those uh, we'll, details later. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about a detail because I'm curious because I know Terry, you're not much of a bourbon drinker. Like straight bourbon, so no, it's it's the bourbon barrel aging and is that, process that makes so, it sweeter and makes it more alcoholic. Why do uh, they or, call or it, makes it stronger? Why do they call it bourbon barrel aged? Is it literally in a barrel that bourbon barrel? Bur- yeah, had, they yeah. let it sit for six months, had nine bourbon. months, years. No, it, it, that, yeah, they, yeah, it just, no, did it have bur- did the barrel barrels. have bourbon in it at one point and it's being reused, or is it just the style of barrel? Correct, and really the style. There's. Um, there's a great book called Bourbon Barrels Stout and Selling Out. It's the story of Goose Island Brewing Ooh, out of Chicago, yeah. Illinois. It's a fantastic book. And uh, if you have any any interest in beer at all, I would definitely suggest getting on Audible. Don't read it. Just have somebody read it to you. It's smarter, not I harder. could read it drunk to you. Smarter, not harder. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Johnny, it's, uh, that brewery, Goose Island, actually partnered with a distillery down in Kentucky where they took Bourbon barrels, and bourbon is typically anywhere from three to five years mm-hmm. for the like regular, and then they get it gets bigger and longer and, and more, more expensive <laughs> and more expensive and all that, right? So you get like a 10 year, 15 year, 20 year, all that stuff. But like the five year, so just your basic level, like low level stuff, those barrels become available. And the guys at Goose Island got their hands on them, put some stout in it, waited a year, pulled it out, and it tasted great. It started getting uh, pushed throughout the the beer world, and now it's become something that's very regular. In fact, we have um, some bourbon uh, and whiskey from a local distillery that uh, that we actually – it's just like literally right around the corner from where we are – and every like December, we drive over, we buy a barrel from them, and then we fill it with beer. The beer sits in there for about a year or maybe a year and a half, kind of depending on the beer and the barrel. Um, and it's now it's ex- just exploded. Of course. There's tequila yeah. barrels. There's wine barrels. There's um, whiskey barrels that have had maple syrup in them that then they drain, and then they put beer in it. So there's all kinds of things with barrels that have kind of just exploded in the beer world. Which is funny because wow, I those are, uh, I like bourbon and whiskey, and I, I don't know if Terry does particularly or not. I've never seen him drink it, but Terry likes, and I hate beer. I'm not a beer person, um, but right. Terry likes the, and traditionally has liked beer, and now likes the bourbon barrel beer. So I didn't know if there was a chance that I would like the beer, but I still don't think so. I, I there's I, a few there's a few I, yeah. we'll go to Eagles Eagles okay. Park in uh, Maguanago yeah. Johnny and there's a or okay. three sheeps uh, up yeah. in Sheboygan there's a couple that you should at least give a little sip to because yeah. I'm <laughs> still thinking you won't like them but yeah. the closest Ed, I get to a beer I, Johnny, that I like drink is... coffee too and there's a lot of these that have Ugh. coffee taste as well yeah the closest to a beer uh, I that I, I that I, I've I, ever I found that I've liked is uh, woodchuck apple cider. <laughs> that's the closest and it's not close at all that's cider it's not beer. i know it's not, yeah. um, it's I, not beer <laughs> i just think i think it's a texture thing i mean yeah. there's in a weird way there's nothing like an imperial style um that's mm-hmm. not in a barrel and then you add a barrel it's brings it up it, a notch to it right. but there's really nothing like just putting a big chunk of ice 
and three fingers of whiskey and just sitting there and drinking it over an hour or two. I mean, it's, I just think there's, there's different strokes for different yeah. folks. Exactly. Yeah, there certainly exactly. is. And speaking of strokes for folks, uh, real quick, getting back to golf tomorrow, super excited hosting <laughs> the, just for the flex of it. Uh, yes. A C tier here in bend at pine nursery disc golf course, uh, is a course I played a few about a month ago with Nate and Val. I had a lot of fun uh, out there playing it, and this was something that made perfect sense to me. A lot of people are, of course, asking why in the world are you running a tournament in Oregon on a Wednesday, and uh, it just set up well in that I'm here for four days, at least four days for the GMC coverage, and then three days later I have to be back for the MVP coverage. So rather than going home on a Monday to do podcast Tuesday, to then fly back out on Wednesday. It made sense just to stay here for the three days. And then with that, I said, hey, here's this crazy idea of hosting a Flex Start C tier. So tomorrow, uh, starting at 10 a.m., if somehow there's anyone that's unaware or still is interested, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., one round, Flex Start Pine Nursery. Um, super excited to go out there and host the event. As of moments ago, it looks like we're up to 34 people. Wow, so that means about brilliant. 10 have registered in the last uh, couple hours. And uh, all AMs are going to, of course, receive a player pack that's going to be at least worth their entry. And then all pros will get their, uh, their you know, playing for the money. And, uh, you know, I, I guess what's exciting about it is it gives you a rated... PDGA sanctioned rated round, and and some people put a lot of stock in that. Some people just like playing the course in a little bit more of a highly competitive format, whatever the case is. Um, but this is something that I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. And I guess the question to you is, hole seven, I, I got to play that as the island hole, right? The hole sevens is an island. Should I Do I have to paint the little places where the rocks don't connect? Yeah, you, you better get out there right now, Terry. Should we head out there now? <laughs> Let's head out there. Paint. So anyway, that's Let's taking use place. Use uh, super excited. For your lines. Be fine. <laughs> oh, oh, that's you just line the OBs. Wow, umbrellas and, <laughs> Too like, soon, Johnny. and, Too soon. and 16-ounce cans. <laughs> <laughs> we could find a few of those. So, uh, yes, looking forward to it, though, uh, tomorrow, like I said. And then, real quick, I want to touch on Nate also. Nate and Val uh, treated me recently to the farm. I got to play uh, a little disc golf the other day, didn't I? Yeah. Where'd we go? Yeah, John Cornett, lovingly known as the Spaniard, uh, bought, uh, I think it was like 40, 42 acres, something like that. Something like that. that. It was about 40, he said, yeah. Yeah, just about 15 minutes, 10, 10, 15 minutes away uh, out east here in Bend, and uh, decided to put a disc golf course on it, and so we got to play that yes. actually. Thank you, John. Um, with with Terry and Nate Sexton was out there, yep. and a couple couple of our local friends, and we played doubles. And Sexton actually played by himself, which the reason we did that is because he's top ten in the world, well in the worlds, whatever <laughs> that means. Um, just kidding. Too early. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Um, and so we wanted to kind of see where he would finish, and uh, and and he shot actually a ten under par by himself, which, which I believe is the course record or tied for the course record. So, so that's a straight way. up ten under, not Cali. Yeah, 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 not Cali. He never took a second putt. Okay, he actually missed two really easy putts, but then with his dart just cashed like two like over fifty footers, mm-hmm. and so he played he played relatively good. Um, it's it's like any typical central Oregon course. If you've been out in here in central Oregon, a lot of juniper trees, so you can play the high shot a lot. And, yeah. and he kind of did that. So, 
Um, but yeah, I think Terry, you were partnering up with Val. I was. I yeah, had the pleasure. Continue. Yes, it was a lot of fun. We both had a, a lot of world championships. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Five putting <combined>. and <laughs> golfing. And yep, all kinds yep. Of other things. Uh, no, we had a lot of fun, and uh, thank you to John for for yeah, playing host fun. to us. I mean, anytime you have an invite to play a private course that's not just open to the public, you know, obviously feels like a special treat and an honor. So I, 100%. I very much appreciate it. You know, John it. does all the work out there himself, you know, and, and, and I think it's, it's just cool. And, and he's so proud of it and he loves to tell you, you know, talk about the holes and all that. It's just, it's pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of fun. So, uh, yeah. And if this ends up being popular tomorrow, um, there, there may be more opportunities. I know I like the idea of if I'm in, in the area to possibly, whether it's Eugene, whether it's Portland, uh, or whether it's here in the Bend area, you know, there might be more opportunities if I have an extra day or want to come out a day early to, to work in some more of those Well, it's offerings. currently 34 people popular. So Yeah, well, that to me, I, I consider that, a, I mean, it's a Wednesday. So I consider that a success uh, in terms of people wanting to come out and find some action. We'll but see that's arguably your Sunday. Because you start work the next day on the commentary. It's all work. It's all work. <laughs> uh, real quick, I want to also touch on, uh, of, of course, I was in Sweden last week, but also releasing the Swedish Disc Golf Pro Tour event, the Disc Golf Terminal Island Open. Some of you already saw it this morning. We released round number one. Nate here was gracious enough to join me on the commentary. Rounds two and three are fully edited, fully put together, and you're going to see those release over the next day and a half or so. You'll see all of that unfold, so I want to get all of that out before MVP uh, officially kicks off this weekend. So that's a little bubble there of fresh content from the other side of the globe. And then I know some people have also been asking about other content, which includes an event up in New York that we filmed last month. That has recently been all put together, and now it just needs some graphics and commentary. So I want to let the world know there's... You might be doing some more commentary. It's nonstop disc golf, and that's not the nonstop disc golf tour. That's another story. But uh, oh, that's, plenty that's, of disc golf all coming. I, yeah, I don't even want to... I'm not even going to venture uh, into that world. So anyway. Johnny V, what's going on in Wisconsin? Anything big? Uh, <laughs> yeah, what do you got? Yeah, nothing here. This is pretty quiet. We're just getting, I mean, I'm personally just getting ready for the next couple of weeks for broadcasting. And I mean, it's, it's really quiet other than, you know, Packers crushing the bears. You know, that's been, that's, wow. that's, local, yeah, we saw some a, of that what a game. That's local sports talk. I mean, Rogers is like 23 and five against the bears and it's just, I mean, it's expected. Like it, it's sad, but it, it is expected. That is, that is the, natural outcome of the world right now so it good game good game and that that's kind of the talk of wisconsin the, the last day or so you know well nice. uh but but uh, golf has it golf been as warm much has it been as warm as is i've been hearing it that, has uh, yeah we're looking little... at mid mid 70s to, to to 80 degrees almost every day this past week and if i look i believe it's supposed to start to kind of slowly cool off but it ain't but we're not, we're not, we ain't talking bad weather, like 75 tomorrow, 75 on Wednesday. And then it drops to like low sixties for a, a few days before it pops back up into the lower seventies. So it's been great okay. weather. And I, I also, I wanted to touch on, uh, we were talking to Ricky earlier about weather conditions and everything else, the fog. I did look at what we're going to see in Leicester over the next few days, Leicester, Worcester area. And, uh, we're looking at right now it is projecting, uh, high of just 65, rain. yeah, and a wow. 90% chance of rain on Thursday. 
uh, Friday, only a high of 53, Saturday, a high Ooh. of 62, and Sunday, a high of 66. So those conditions are comfortable to me. I'm a little bit bigger, uh, so the mirrors told me. But Well, it's two shirts. Uh, <laughs> You're wearing two shirts. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's certainly not hot by any means. I mean, we've we've played Maple Hill in some steamy conditions, and this weekend mm-hmm. is going to be far from it. The The dip in the pond on Sunday night might be a little bit chilly, which yeah, it's, I guess I would take. It's so crazy. Like You're not feeling I it. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, w- there was one year we played the pro. Uh, well, we played at Maple Hill, and it was like 4th of July. And it yeah, was hot. Yeah. And st- I mean, it was kind of uncomfortable. But I think this, what are we, in the third week of September? That's That feels a little late, honestly. Yeah, it is. I mean, they're obviously going to they're going to do Worlds Labor Day weekend. So that does that mean we're going to go to Maple Hill maybe a couple weeks earlier? Because it turns quick. Yeah, it'll probably you know? be two weeks after. You think? It, or, or the yeah, or maybe the week after. But usually we have a week off, uh, or maybe Maple Hill. And that's actually a great question that you're that you're posing. <clears throat> Somebody had asked me earlier today about some coverage and coverage plans for next year's for a a, a big A tier that they're running and. I, I did get me thinking, like, yeah, wait a minute. Hopefully we'll see an Elite Series schedule released, I'm guessing, within the next week or two. I know a lot of people are focused on finishing up this year, but Jeff Spring and the rest of the crew, I would hope, for my own selfish planning yeah. purposes and for the rest of the world, I would hope we start to see an, at least a draft of next year's Silver Series and Elite Series probably in the next week or two. I think that's a fair... That's more than a fair uh, request at this point, right? My guess I is mean, that it's going to be it's right almost it, October. It, it's going to be pretty shortly after MVP. I think they'll finish up with the "quote unquote" regular season, and they'll then they'll do hopefully. And I have no knowledge of this, or I would have already told Terry about it. But yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're right. Um, but hopefully, right after <laughs> Maple Hill, you finish up the regular season, and then you kind of start talking about next season because the Pro Tour. Regular season and playoffs are over. Now we're just waiting for the tour championship, USDGC. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, whatever this this top dollar skins is happening, I don't know, like, the story about that, but... Yeah, Eagles wing, or Eagles crossing, crossing. and uh, all the... Sexton's going out that way, too, so um, that should be an interesting event. But, yeah, yeah, we'd love to see the, the, the schedule. I don't expect it to be all that much different. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, a couple couple subtractions, couple additions. I mean, that would be the expectation every year. Yeah. I mean, you think about the Silver Series, and this conversation took place earlier today. You start thinking about who's on the Silver Series, who's not. Um, Is is anybody graduating, so to speak, to the Elite Series? Or, you know, what are some of those kinds of shifts as we're looking at uh, next year's schedule? Those are all things I'm, I'm interested to hear. Again, normally I wouldn't be too concerned about it in the middle of September, but people are starting to make their travel plans and people are starting to make their media plans and everything else for next year already. So I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm kind of looking at the schedule and I don't know. I think, I think Doss is right. I don't necessarily think that we're going to see really much difference other than GMC will clearly drop off because it's going to have worlds and we'll probably pick up one, yeah. one new event is my guess. Cause I can't think of an event that they're going to drop off other than maybe one of the Texas events. And, uh, but, but I have no knows? clue. I have no clue. 
Yeah, who who might get that bump up? Who might want to bump down? I mean, there's yeah, those are all as we like to say, those are way above our pay grade. I, well, I, and I I definitely need I to know. I need to get my touring just, plans in in line. Time to yeah yeah yeah. 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 Touring you, you from your out when you're from your living room yeah <laughs> to your living room to your basement. Um, I, I just <sighs> next year. I I feel like any business, and I I guess I could you know talk about this because Bevel's in. It's third year, but any business, if the pro tour is a business, this is when you start to kind of hit that stride and, you know, you've got some history behind you a little bit. You can clearly look into the future. So I think the kind of the decisions or like what we see from Jeff and from the tournament directors, I think is going to really, I think, be a little bit more uh, consistent maybe in this next season. Because we've kind of had a couple under our belt, you know, for now. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, before we close out the regular show, I want to quickly touch on uh, this insane opportunity. And I, I feel like oh, we, right. we unfortunately haven't talked it up enough. If it's hit, it certainly will be. But uh, MVP opened to host Disc Golf's richest ace contest. Million dollars. Read, uh, verbatim, a few things. Yeah. 6 p.m. Thursday, Thursday. Uh, 922, as in in a couple days, eight men, 600 feet, three throws each, Maple Hill Hole 1, 6 p.m. on Friday, 923, uh, September 23rd, eight women, 450 feet, three throws each, Maple Hill Hole 1, and one million dollars. I'm, 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 let's just, let's just, for, just for giggles. What what day are they doing Let's that? Play pretend. Uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, Thursday Saturday. Thursday and Friday. Thursday and Friday. Thursday and Friday. How insane if someone hits that. Mm. I mean, yeah. It's the equivalent. I mean, just think. You could I, I mean, e- you could erase you could be uh, I'm I'm just going to put a name out there. You could be Ella Hansen who just came into the game in the last couple of years. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You hit the ace, and I'll, 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 I'll in quotes use the phrase, your career earnings, <laughs> even that won't count on your surpass McBass. I know, I know. That's why I put it in air quotes uh, for all our audible listeners. You could pass surpass McBath in one throw, which is maybe a, a silly, uh, ridiculous analogy, but how crazy. Yeah, I I just I almost can't even imagine it. I think it's bigger for just the media part of it. Like if somebody hits it, I mean, what a topic of conversation just yeah. in the greater clickbait world of internet stuff, you know? Like but somebody hit a million dollar ace. I mean, cuz it doesn't you you don't hear about a golfer hitting a million dollar ace ever. I mean, yeah, they'll win a, like a $80,000 car, $100,000 car every once in a while, but this is kind of crazy, but it's only eight people. Yes. So that's probably how they got the insurance Correct. policy to do it, right? Which is like, hey, this isn't... Uh, 500 people don't have a chance to do this. It's like 16 total. Yeah, everyone at Ledgestone, I think, is either eligible or can pay five bucks or whatever it is. For their one chance at, I think, a $10,000 ace. That's been kind of going Bell, on for was years Bell's? after year. What was Matt Bell's ace? At 25, the grand, 25, 25 grand. 25 grand. 
And that was ever every player in the tournament got one throw. I that sounds correct. Okay. Does it have and to be so, a straight throw in? Can it be a skip ace? Can it like I'm I'm curious about if there's any logistical. Yeah, what is, what is, what is, I, I I don't know any of those. Uh, I don't have any. Of the, I don't know if those. Well, press... I remember one year at the USDGC there was like a whole three. Whole three. three. How many? How much money was it? Ten grand. Ten grand. I want to say and, and, they and had a, to and or a bike. You had to was, show your disc a, like to the camera before the you camera. threw. Yeah, we had to do that at Houston Worlds. Yep. That oh, was right. that was a fifty twenty five or fifty thousand dollar ace at Houston Worlds in two thousand two. You had to show your disc to the camera. That's inflation and, for uh, you. I think maybe even say what it was, but you had to show your disc to the camera, <laughs> and then it was like a three hundred and seventy foot like slight turnover that couldn't touch the tree that was right in your way. Like it was an it opportunity had to be though. Clean. Yeah, yeah. And that was two thousand two World because you used to see they were literally filming the T line. Mm-hmm. They had a camera oh, yeah. that was to make at sure you didn't level. like foot fault exactly. So that was the thing, and understandable. There's insurance policies. You know, you got to play by all the rules, but nonetheless, uh, just just crazy. So, how to watch the event is free all day of MVP ticket holders. Free with a DGN. Media are encouraged to attend and get a media pass prior. Please apply. Blah blah blah. It will be broadcast live on the Disc Golf Network immediately after Thursday and Friday live broadcast. I'm so excited. The MVP Open recorded for post production by Gatekeeper Media. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, we have to sit here longer. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Because oh, I have to, I have to sit beverage. here. Trust me, because I have to sit here longer. <laughs> so, yes, you will have to sit here longer with us. All right. We're not going to sit here any longer for the regular show. We're going to close it out. Wrap it up. That's it. I'm magically calling it. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Ricky Wusaki. Uh, thank you um, for all the insights, the extra information, and and really just breaking down all of your thoughts and the thought process uh, to this incredible weekend. Congrats to Kristen Tatar, of course, on the FPO side in her dominant performance. Well, we didn't away. even really talk about Kristen. Uh, I mean, I mean, because you know, rinse and repeat for her, from previous weeks. Boring. For, cr- yeah, copy paste, copy paste. It, it's it's too easy for her. She's amazing. That's right. She certainly is. So, uh, thank you. Uh, like I said, to Rick uh, for Johnny V, Nate Doss. I'm Terry Miller, the disc golf guy. We're still gonna have an after show. So don't go anywhere. I now have two in-person podcasts, by the way. Damn, this so guy's on a roll. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. We're going to go refill the bre- beverages. Brever <laughs> bread jazz. Yeah, because you uh, need another. Thank you guys for joining us. This is, <laughs> I have another. Yeah, and lunch. Is it the after slur cast, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Is it warm in here? I feel like I'm sweating. <laughs> uh, this has been Smashbox TV podcast 421. Stick around for the after show. Shit's going to get real. We'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox. Late. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 